0: Hey, welcome in. We are here
1: in the studios of WNSP for the next three hours. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, and uh, we got some things to sink our teeth into,
2: Mr. Shervanian. Mark, lots of NBA news. Certainly yesterday it started out with Doc Rivers getting canned by Philadelphia. Been a very unique, unusual NBA Off season, at teams uh, that won games and were into the playoffs are firing coaches left and right then you had the uh, draft lottery and the uh, winner was san antonio you know in the previous times that they've had the overall number one pick they've picked hall of famers so things look pretty good because the consensus number one pick the seven five great player from france victor wambiama most assuredly will go number one Uh, then the hornets had the uh, number two pick and they possibly could take brendan miller of alabama you know that's in the narrative and then the game last night which looked to be a a, a runaway for denver i was very impressed with Nokic. who wouldn't be in that first quarter i mean he totally dominated but uh in the second half the lakers staged a rally and cut it down to three on several several occasions and i thought might actually win the game uh and, and a guy i was rooting for was lebron but unfortunately he had a, a a turnover late in the game in the lane, which hurt. Plus he missed a three and they just uh, fell short in game one. And uh, so now Denver has a one game to none lead. And then we get game two tomorrow. And then the first game of the Boston Miami series, but the Denver game, uh, first of all, they, they haven't lost a game at home. So there's that, but I'm telling you that the, the way that Denver plays, they're fun to watch. And I had not watched Denver this year at all. I'll be honest about it. They're just fun to watch as far as, you know, spacing And and the things that Jokic, I should say, is such a throwback to old-time centers. You know, the ball comes to the center, you know that, and then you just pass it around and look for the open guy, and he had a triple-double. He's got now six in the postseason and three straight.
1: I think he had a triple-double before the end of the third quarter, which was just crazy. And uh, I found myself, and I didn't watch the whole thing, obviously. I saw bits and pieces. I found myself kind of, as Los Angeles was kind of, clawing their way back i kind of found myself kind of rooting for them a little bit um it certainly makes for a lot more dramatic theater moving forward uh that they made it an interesting game in fact i feel like i know lebron was asked about it after he they didn't didn't use the words moral victory but i kind of felt like it was a little bit of a moral victory to be down as much as they were and everything was just going denver's way i mean Uh, Jokic was just having his way with Anthony Davis. Like they had no answer early. Um, they were just getting hounded on the boards. Like the nuggets, I mean, they were just killing them on the boards. And so I thought the, the, um, changes they made, um, really spoke volumes. And so you were kind of rooting for them a little bit for, if you're a fan of the NBA and a good series, this is exactly what you wanted. So, uh, no,
2: it was it was it was entertaining stuff. I had a couple of things uh, on the game. First of all, I did turn it off when Denver had the huge lead. They were up like twenty-one or so, and when I turned it off, and then I got back into the game later on due to events in our household where I was up and uh, jokic going into the fourth quarter i think had like 31 points he still had 31 and there were only a couple of minutes to go and the lakers put on a massive rally and got it down to three a few times but something that i think you would appreciate a a coaching adjustment because you don't talk much about that in the nba it's all well shooting three spacing and all that but uh, defensively they put on jokic and let uh, davis patrol the lane and it it kind of worked out well because jokic was kind of shut down in the fourth quarter especially late in the game he was missing shots inside also but you had davis blocking a couple of his shots and that's because they but you know Hakamura, who's a little shorter than jokic but i'll tell you the thing that impressed me about jokic he moves a lot better than i would have thought for a big guy and you know they, they they talk about his, you know that he's not he doesn't jump high or do this or that. He led fast breaks yesterday, and you know what? He was three for three from the three point line. Yeah.
1: now it was uh, it was it was fun to watch, and um, it'll be interesting to see how who makes the tweaks moving forward, and and how does Denver combat that defensive move by L.A. Because uh, I, I also thought L.A. had uh, especially later in the game had some real success with that pick and roll. LeBron hitting Anthony Davis, and then Davis making that extra pass. I think they kinda fell. I think they've kind of found something there. Nick, what do you think? I
3: think that <clears throat> I think that LeBron out of any superstar in NBA history has the worst luck with matchups. Nikola Jokic, he might be the best player that LeBron's ever gone up against. I mean, the way that he just so effortlessly gets 31 and has only missed two shots. He doesn't force any shot. He just takes it when there's nothing else available, and it goes in, and it looks so easy. He's able to – he's someone who sees the court in the same way yeah. LeBron does, right? He sees all the pieces moving like other people don't. I, They might sweep him, bro. You think Denver's going to sweep? They might. I mean, look, when Le, if LeBron's getting you – Almost a thirty-point triple-double. Anthony Davis is getting about forty, and you're still losing by twelve. I think lost in the shuffle too was the game that
2: Murray had. You know, they haven't had him in the past with injuries and things like that. He had a phenomenal shooting. In fact, they all did. They all that both teams shot over fifty percent. Both teams shot three pointers well. The the thing that, like I said, I I was kind of pulling for the Lakers and LeBron, and I was hoping he could rally them, but. They only the Lakers only had up till about oh I guess the final seconds. He only had six turnovers, which was terrific. And then LeBron loses the ball in the lane, and that that was that was a uh, an event that really hurt the Lakers because they were within I I don't remember maybe three or four at the time. Plus he missed a three pointer. He couldn't hit a three. Took a few and, and couldn't hit it. I don't. I still. I even if they fall down two games to none, I still think. Once they get home, they'll at least get a win or two. I don't think it'll be a sweep. Uh, I think the Lakers are, are still too good. And, you know, Denver, very impressive first game. Jokic showed that uh, he's should have been maybe more in the consideration for MVP than Embiid, at least in postseason. You know, the guy's only one triple-double away from tying the all-time record for triple-doubles in no, postseason. That's ridiculous.
1: And, you know, what was ridiculous is the pace. And that's that's something that I think— Los Angeles is going to have to find a way to control because, I mean, I think I think the Nuggets had 72 at, at halftime.
3: Yeah. And every shot they take is wide open. Yeah.
2: They didn't uh, – th- that's what I like about – Joe Beach reminds me a lot in a sense. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to compare him to Bill Russell. But when Russell was the dominant figure about leading the fast break, so he's rebounding and the Lakers aren't getting any rebounds, and so he's leading that break. And then many times – he would actually be the one dribbling up the court. And there's nobody's going to stop him. And then they had a guy come off the bench. Was it Bruce Brown? Was that mm-hmm. the one? My gosh, he had like a career night last night. He, uh, he comes in there and he, he goes into double digits and he's driving the lane and nobody's stepping in front of him and nobody's stopping him at all.
1: Well, to, to Nick's point, I, I don't know if it's a I don't think it's a sweep. I mean, I think you make a compelling argument because you feel like you got the Lakers' best shot. I mean, like Anthony.
3: Da- go ahead, I'm sorry. Anthony Davis is like what one of the best defenders in the league. They yeah. say, yeah, dude got cooked. Yeah, he did last night. He, he couldn't did. do anything. Yeah. He like he was just couldn't do anything at all against this there guy. There was that uh, I don't remember when it was, but there was
1: like this uh. Spin, drop, step, kind of move by Jokic and like he had no answer. Like he went baseline, it just there was he just couldn't do anything. But taking him off off of Jokic and letting him come over and help,
3: I'm not saying that's gonna neutralize him, but it it might it might. That's the thing though, Jokic that guy you bring over the help. He's gonna immediately hit that guy for that wide yeah. open three, and they and everyone on Denver knows how to like. Oh, they're going to help. Let's get in our positions. Let's get ready to swing it. Yeah, it's just like it's an impossible task. If Anthony Davis isn't enough, no one is. Mark had Wim another. Story.
1: Maybe he'll be the neutralizing Shoot. factor. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: No, all right. I was just going to say on another subject, we had a, a second pitcher ejected for sticky fingers. Yes uh Domingo German who had been a no hitter through three innings so he comes out to pitch the fourth inning for the Yankees against Toronto and the umpires are checking him out and the umpire's last name I think is Hoy said uh his fi- the umpire's fingers were sticking to Herman's palm he couldn't he said, so they tossed him out and uh, uh German afterwards said uh, well he just used rosin and that was it and, and that's I guess, the cause of the sticky finger. So he becomes the second pitcher ejected this year.
1: It's, uh, it's been a tough week for the Yankees. Well. Because then Aaron Judge, he, well he, act- he got accused of stealing signs, right? That was earlier this That's,
2: week. You know, I don't really understand what was going on. This was uh, the chirping incident you're talking about. And Judge, you know what? I don't really know the basis for all this. He was looking into his own dugout. I I, the way I heard it was that he was checking out his own player his own teammates and he's the captain we're chirping around the announcers made a deal about it he hits the home run to win the game he had like two home runs in the game and then he hit the go-ahead home run yesterday so from the standpoint of batting he did fine I don't really know what the big deal was about uh, you know I know Boone had been tossed out this was the night before and there was some chirping going on from the Yankee dugout and the way I read into it was that bothered judge that his own teammates were doing something like that. I don't I don't know about anything about stealing signs at all, but again, he um, from the, the standpoint of batting, he did pretty well. He has three home runs in the last two games. Maybe because he's stealing signs. Well, w- whatever it takes, you know, if it does. But I, <laughs> I never really got the gist of that, why that was such a big deal. Stealing signs? No, but looking into his own uh, dugout, you know, when it, that lasted bat before he crushed the home run. Maybe because
1: they're stealing signs.
2: It's all part of the game. And if you do it and you're not caught, congratulations. I
1: kind of agree. Yeah. I, mean, I know we've had this conversation about stealing signs. Like, it's, it it's, it's like this cardinal rule, like, but I, you're openly, like, signaling the other team. It's like we all, I always compare it to football, right? You always have that GA or that student assistant there with a towel, and he's, like, uh, he's hi- trying to hide the coordinator from bringing in the signs. You have multiple guys out there sending in signs. Have multiple guys sending in signs. Like, if you're going to do something in the open, what, I, I'm supposed to be penalized because I'm looking in a public area at, at you flashing a sign? I, I've never understood the whole Stealing sign things I just, I just don't I just don't get it. All right. Anyway, um We got a good one lined up for you today Uh, We're gonna talk to Mark Hudspeth at 630 Gulf Shores football coach Dale Osborne will be along at 7 to talk some Lakers Ross Jackson on the Saints at 730 Daphne had basketball coach Reed Hotard. We mentioned it yesterday looks like there's some new rules coming down No longer is uh, in high school basketball where we have the bonus with the one-and-one it is going straight to a two-shot Uh, foul which uh, but to get to that penalty uh, it's five a quarter not seven and a half now so we'll talk about how that's going to change the game if at all Chris Stewart at 8 o'clock Justin Baker at 8.30 and Nick and I will discuss what happened yesterday when we come back I'll have I have two words for you on our loss in Cornhole I will tell you what those two words are when we come back, next right here on the sports station, WNSP.
4: Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Sabin, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM.
0: The second pick will be made by the Charlotte Hornets. Let's go! And that means that the number one pick in the 2023 NBA Draft goes to the San Antonio Spurs. 623.
1: All right.
2: Is he a generational player? What do you think, Lee? Well, that's what they're saying. And he's a consensus number one pick and he can do it all. So I'm sure this will, uh, Greg Popovich has had success with overall number one picks. He's also had success with players from France in the past. You know, the Spurs haven't done well since Duncan uh, retired. Maybe this will be the catalyst that they need to get them going. I certainly hope so.
1: I can say this. He's like no other player we've ever seen, right? I mean, how many guys are seven? I mean, he's he's your 2K guy that you make, right? he's He's five inches taller than Giannis. And he's got guard handles. There's no one... There's no one else like him he's in a, that regard.
2: He's a guard. He's a rim protector. He's he's got all the attributes uh, to be a star. And and it's not like you know like last year. Well, we weren't sure if we we're going to take uh, this guy or that. There were three guys. Uh, Holmgren was up there. at Banchero and of course the uh, Auburn player. But uh, this year, there's no doubt. I mean, he's going to San Antonio. And I think, if I understand correctly, based on an interview, he's pretty happy about it because, you know, Greg Popovich is a Hall of Fame coach. He's sticking around. I thought by now he'd be retired. He's like 75 years old, but big deal. And it just fits right into his, uh, you know, success rate because the success he had with an overall number one pick like David Robinson or Tim Duncan, and now maybe he gets eventually a title with – uh, Victor coming aboard. Plus, like I said, he had Tony Parker from France. He had, uh, was it Diem? There was another guy from France that also was very successful. He's done very well with players from Europe. Let's put it that way. Let's
1: take a phone call at 694-1055. Go ahead, caller. Welcome to WNSP.
5: How you doing, Mark? And they just want to chime in on uh, John Morant. Uh, I just would like to say, uh, if the commissioner get this wrong this time, that, boy, they, they need to get rid of the commissioner. He need to be. I think he need to be suspended for a whole year. Look, if he ain't to killed somebody. Somebody did killed him. He is a gangster playing basketball. Uh, y'all have a blessed day.
1: Thank you, sir. Well, I mean, if being a gangster is illegal, then the NBA may not have enough
3: players to to uh, to, oh, to form a league. I thought you were about to say, "Come arrest me." No,
1: no, come <laughs> arrest me now. No, but I get your point. I mean, look, he's he's violated. It's not just the fact that he violated uh the cba right it's that he's done it on the heels of doing it the first time and clearly he he went on on television he he was oh i'm sorry you know but it's all it's it's all falling on deaf ears now all the good capital that he had built up after the first incident is completely gone um and so yeah I, i think the commissioner probably needs to make a statement here uh with how they how they punish him
2: you know, he's been, uh, Silver's been considered a player's commissioner, been very pro player, unlike, you know, Stern, who, who he succeeded. But there's a story coming out that this, uh, the video really shocked Silver. And there there's some narrative out there, Mark, that this could be, and I'm not saying it's going to happen because I don't know, but there's a narrative that this could be a long suspension. But you know what? Right, you're in the off season now. How long is it going to be? Right now, he's suspended from team activities does does he get suspended for games this year just because of this the video uh i don't know how you know if the commissioner is going to really go down hard on Morant because like i said he has been a player's type commissioner
1: um nick we have a minute here can you explain what happened yesterday in the uh round 2 of our competition with the final drive
3: yeah so <clears throat> we alluded to it yesterday we played a game of cornhole against the final drive competing for the nappy vote and look it was a hard fought game for two guys who haven't really played cornhole against a guy who i guess would deem himself a pro at cornhole i think lives and breathes it probably is accurate um he's he's a something hole all right but uh (laughs) (laughs) but look it was close it was back and forth and look we had a lot of opportunities to take that game, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put the blame on myself. That's what great elite uh, leaders do. And in that final round, I had a chance to put one bag on the board and keep us alive, and I just couldn't do it. But it was it was a battle for the ages. It was back and forth. We had them on their heels. We were down 19-6 to start, and then we ended up uh, really going down to the final wire. But I just couldn't. Couldn't get it on there when I needed to. So that's on me, guys. Guys, That's on me. Listen, listen. Two words, okay? Reality TV.
1: That's all I'm going to say. It's reality TV. You know the outcome and you work backwards, forwards to prevent as much or to to create as much drama as possible for the viewing public. Mm. I
3: don't want to say we threw the game. I'm just saying... Like if we would have won then round three that would, it wouldn't have been a tiebreaker
1: exactly. Mark Hudspeth is next. We're tanking. That's what I'll say it. We tanked.
0: it off in time it's up oh it's
6: good of course it goes in
1: yeah that's pretty much how it was for uh for who i think probably many believe might should have been
2: the league's mvp it's hard to argue after uh, after watching that performance he was he was outstanding i i just didn't realize he was as good as he is and again it's one game but he's been doing this all postseason with triple doubles, and like you, Mark, the thing that impressed me the most wasn't his shot making or his rebounds, but his passing. Yeah, I mean, he was finding open guys all over the place. Let's talk some football. Auburn gets a couple of transfers from North Texas, uh, a receiver, Jair Shorter, and also a linebacker, Larry Nixon, the third Alabama-Texas game. Uh, on the 9th of September, will be televised on ESPN at 6 p.m., and I see where the uh, LSU Florida State opener the week before that will get the Sunday slot at 6.30 on ABC, which could be arguably one of the best games that weekend, that first weekend.
1: So uh, speaking of football, I saw where the, uh, I guess ESPN and SEC retweeted this kind of SEC on ABC kind of promotional video yesterday um tell you they're gonna have some tough it's gonna be tough to win fans over after that uh, if they're not bringing that CBS and they're not that CBS song with them uh but not a huge not a huge uh headline yesterday because it was announced two years ago that they were gonna make this move but um they did post a uh a video about the SEC going to the AB to ABC, so it'll this be it'll be a
2: different it'll be a different feel for sure. This is the last year, right, for the SEC? Yeah. So starting in twenty four, they're at ABC. They go on ABC and ESPN and all the stations that uh, are grouped into that. But so this will be the uh, final year we get Nestler, and it'll uh, be the final year that SEC fans can gang up on Gary Danielson. Yeah, right? they'll
1: have to find. Uh, they'll have to find uh, somebody a somebody else. Another punching bag to beat on. Um, anyway, we got some feedback on the uh the fall our fall in Cornhole. Great elite leaders don't lose in Cornhole. I suggested they do if the sacrifice lifts the team to greater heights. And I think maybe you guys are looking, you're not looking at the big picture here. Right. Sometimes you have to learn to lose before you can learn how to win. You know,
3: they say the uh <laughs>
2: What did you have this morning? The the
3: pathway to progress is paved (laughs) with the lessons from our failures. I think so.
1: I mean, you know, Jordan just didn't walk in the league and and win titles. LeBron didn't just walk into Cleveland day one and win titles. No, it took him a while. You have to learn how to lose before you can win. So does
2: that mean there's going to be a rematch? In Cornhole? Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we could, but I don't know. I don't think that was in the plans. I don't think we're contractually—they're not contractually obligated again to to uh, replay us in cornhole. I will say that multiple—we both both sides had multiple chances to win. Um, in fact, I would say we're the little engine that could because with no experience in whatever that game is that you call cornhole, uh, they kept. Uh, getting to the point where they could knock us out, but we just kept fighting back. We just kept fighting back. We were resilient, we We didn't know what we were doing, and we just kept fighting. And uh, they just couldn't knock us out. We kept getting off the the canvas. I mean, we just little Mickey was in our head, Get up, you sob. And we just, we just, we they just couldn't knock us out.
2: Was this was this outdoors or indoors? It was outdoors. Was the sweat coming? Yeah, it started to get a little
1: warm. Now, I'll say this too, uh, Corey. Was all or nothing. Corey was either was either hitting like
3: Directly? nothing but
1: net, yeah. or a dude wasn't hitting the board. Yeah. S- so I made the comment if if he shot like that in our basketball games, it might have gone a different way for him. But um, he was very, he was consistently inconsistent with his cornhole. And but I, like us, it was a
3: foreign game to him. I'll say this, you know, Michael, he was talking a big game. He was super confident. If that's the game that you're super confident in, I'm not impressed. <laughs> I mean, were you not expecting him to just be killing us? And yeah. honestly, I think Corey probably had the majority of their points. Yeah. Uh, and then Nick pretty much
1: got in um, Bronner's head early. With oh, the, yeah. Uh, I had him crying. He he was uh, – so as you know, Lee, so, you know, you, you – you like, when on, on, on rounds where Nick would – or um, Bronner would go first – Nick would throw his bag like right after, like right after he threw it. So, out of the corner of Nick, uh, out of Bronner's eye, he saw the motion, and I think he got in his head. I think
3: it yeah, that's when That's when the comeback started to, uh, to build. Yeah. Cause I would, yeah, I would just let that thing go literally maybe a, a half a second okay, after so him. We were basically the Lakers yesterday. We were down like. It was
1: it was what 15-4 something stupid 19-6 We were down 19 score. to 6 to 21. Yeah. And I don't even remember what the final score was. I have no idea cuz 21-18 21-18 there. And we had a chance to win it. Uh, you know, we had a like LeBron, we had a turnover late. It it, it wasn't pretty, yeah. but uh but look, guys, listen. It's all part of the reality television experience. That's right. So now it's all tied up going into the final the final event, which nobody has any idea about, right? No one's, no one that I know of, has played pickleball, so we're all going into this foreign idea of, you know, miniature tennis, or steroid-sized ping, ping pong, whatever it is, and we're going to try to do this. It makes for high drama, Lee. You going to practice? No, nah, I think that would defeat the purpose. Now I, I want to have I want to I don't want any excuses when we when we go in there and where are you playing I, at the church to be determined to be announced I don't know when I don't know where but I'll yeah. be there
3: so sure. shout out to O'Daly's for letting us come in there in the middle of the day and hooking us up and there will be video I'm not
1: sure how much video there'll be because there were probably <sighs> some choice words yeah there were more choice words among everybody then you um,
3: especially was it me yeah i heard screaming was that me screaming
1: (laughs) 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 but it was fun it was it was a good time so would
3: you play cornhole again are you seeing the enjoyment of it or are you kind of like this is stupid um
1: hmm no i mean it's it's a it's a cute little game yeah um would I play? Would I play in a competitive environment? I would like to play them again. Yes, knowing now how to play the game and actually have played it now. Yes, I would. I would. I would enjoy an opportunity to, 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 redeem ourselves for sure. Maybe we can set
3: that up. Eh,
1: whatever. So uh, next up is pickleball, and then the prep spotlight guys have challenged us to a game of basketball. So yeah, we'll see what you next week. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, you guys can jump in at 694-1055. Someone's suggesting it's not reality television, it's reality radio. Um, but but we do have video, so it can be streamed. Yeah, I'm going to really— uh, It's
3: reality streaming. I'm going to really be in the editing booth today trying to make that video of four guys throwing beanbags for 35 minutes. <laughs> Try to make that entertaining, cut it down to like four minutes or something. <laughs> yeah. But uh,
1: kudos to the final drive for evening things up, and uh, we look forward to round three. All right, so if you guys want to get in on Lakers Nuggets, the fact that the SEC threw out a video out there going to ABC and football, you can do that. And so a big debate brewing over uh, the lottery and whether teams should tank. Um, well, because it it the 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 argument I heard Lee is, would you would you rather lose in a in in a first round game or tank and get a what some are deeming a generational player and be set for the next however well many there's years. no
2: guarantee because of this uh you know the Pistons had the worst record and now I think it's five consecutive years that the team with the worst record did not get the overall number one pick and like I said I don't I don't know all the players that are coming out in the draft the, some of these players that are going to the Uh, G League or have a chance to uh, show their talents they may decide to go back to college so we're not sure about every player who's who's going to be available for the draft I know there was a lot of discussion about the uh, Dallas Mavericks tanking and and I think because of Mark Cuban's comments that was the general consensus so they could get a lottery pick but my gosh they're at number 14 there's you know there's no guarantee that you're going to get a player that's going to benefit you at number 14. I just I don't know how well-stocked it is this year. Obviously, I, uh, after the first pick, you know, there's a few. Brandon Miller comes to mind, Henderson, who's in the G League. And other than that, I, it wasn't like last year where you had those three or four players, Mark, that were surefire picks. Now, again, when you ask me, is Wambayama uh, a generation, the thing is he's got to stay healthy. Remember what happened last year when Oklahoma City took Holmgren? And he, he never even played because he got hurt. So if he stays healthy, you know, there's always that possibility. But I'm not sure coming out this year what players would you could put into the same breath a, as he that is going to be a superstar down the road. You just have to wait and see how things, you know, materialize. So um, is tanking worth it? You know what? The 76ers for years were accused of tanking, and they would always get these high picks. But it has not resulted in a championship. In fact, it's resulted in more controversy than anything. Personally, as a fan, I wouldn't want my team to tank. Uh, But organizations, the only one that I could ever think of, Mark, that has ever basically worked out well was the Houston Astros. They tanked for a number of years, kept getting the number one pick or second pick, and they've been very, very successful over the years. But other than that... I can't think of another professional sports team that you could put the label tank and it's really worked out as far as championships. Can well, you?
1: No, uh, it, but I'll say this about tanking because I'm anti-tanking. I, but the, the problem is too many people see the advantages of tanking. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this. If we're going to let teams tank, then you should let teams bet on their own games because the, I, I think what gets missed in tanking is you're messing with the integrity of the game. Whether whether the players are set up to tank, whether they're tanking or the front office is, your your the integrity of the game is now in, in jeopardy, and that's the whole reason why I'm anti-gambling because you, whether you believe believe it or not, are impacting the outcome of a game in a way that isn't in the purest form of competition, and you're you're essentially throwing a game. I so think if if we're if we're gonna let tanking happen. Then you might as well open up the casinos in the sports books and let these guys go to town.
2: I think the uh, uh, your your first premise that it's more on the uh, organization than it is the players. I I can't believe the players themselves, whether they're second or third string, would go out there and purposely try to throw a game. I hope not. I think it's more on the front office. Uh, for instance, when they benched uh, uh, Damon Lillard. And Portland winds up with the three pick because they didn't let him play in the last, right. um, you know, nine games or whatever it was. So I, I put the blame on the front office as far as it goes to tanking. And like I said, I haven't seen where really it benefits NBA teams that much because, well, number one, the lottery it doesn't guarantee you're going to get the overall number one pick. Now, you're going to probably get a, a, a player that's going to help you. You would hope unless there's injuries or circumstances uh, beyond your control. But um, uh, you know, again, I, I can't, uh, other than the Houston Astros in baseball, I can't think of another fran- professional team where tanking has actually benefited them. Certainly not the 76ers. And for years, they had the top pick or top three pick or something like that. And they have nothing to show for it.
3: Well, the Detroit Pistons, they've been tanking for the past three years. They were able to get uh, Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Right. And they had it. the worst record bad. in the NBA this year. That's right. They did it. They ran it back again this year, and they ended up with pick <laughs> number five. That's right.
2: They had <laughs> so. the worst record in the NBA. So, what the, what does that accomplish for them?
3: Yeah. Well, you know they're young. We'll see if they end up if those pieces end up working. Because you know you got to think, man. Technically, I believe that the process the process worked in Philly, but the execution just wasn't um, where it needed to be. You have all those high picks, and you come out with Only one guy who's a legitimate star out out of every, what, six years, they've had a top three pick. You know, Ben Simmons was a bust. They could have got Jason Tatum, but they took Markel Fultz instead. They got Jaleel Okafor when they already had Embiid. I mean, they could have done it differently.
1: You guys can jump in on that conversation, the Cornhole issue, uh, Lakers and... Uh, nuggets. By the way, are you surprised we lost in cornhole, Lee? Yes. Did we disappoint you as 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 our leader, as our I, as our motivational yeah, speaker?
2: I would say this: if I had to choose whether you won in basketball or cornhole, I would. Glad that you won in basketball. I could care less about cornhole. You know There's what? We anybody agree on in this <laughs> really, to be honest with you, I could care less about going out and whether you win at cornhole or not. That doesn't, to me, show anything. Um, anybody? I mean. If that's I had a, to
1: lose one, I'm definitely I'm better with losing my a my top hole. three
2: would be basketball one, pickleball two, and then cornhole we're would on be the, three. We're, the, we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the same. That, page. And you, we haven't even discussed this, so that that's how I feel about it. I I didn't even blink an eye when you told Someone me. Someone said, "How'd
1: burn. y'all lose to those non-athletic dudes?" And my response was, <laughs> "Because it's a non-athletic game."
2: Exactly. Right. Like, they were born for that moment. No, like that's right.
1: When they when they when they create the perfect. Cornhole player, uh, they created Michael Bronner. Was the
2: uh, wind a factor?
1: Actually, uh, the wind did start kicking up there in the later rounds. Did
3: start to maybe uh, shift the yeah. Those bags are starting to slant left a little bit. Oh,
1: and I should mention, because of my keen eye, it was caught. Labouni threw five bags in the first round. Like, that dude snuck an extra bean bag in there. Or corn bag, or whatever the hell they're
2: called. Well, you better take that (laughs) to the commissioner. Uh, Pfft. Ridiculous.
3: Cheating? Is that what you're saying? Cheating? I I would say it was inadvertent cheating. But they had a couple times where they inadvertently tried to cheat. So, you know, the second time it was kind of like, all right, now. I wouldn't lose sleep over this if Uh, I were you. I
1: will just say I think we had as good a chance of winning that as they did, despite like I said, our, our our inexperience. Yeah, but if
2: you won, then it takes away all the suspense of the pickleball. Exactly, that's my whole point. Really. That's why I'm saying I wouldn't lose sleep over losing a cornhole game.
1: F- first of all, how do you guys know that we haven't already done the pickleball and that this is just one big reality show we're throwing at you? Like we already know the end. We already know how this ends. We've Nick's
3: already edited the video, as far as you know. We already know how it ends because we know that we're not going to lose again. Right. See, Mark and I, we have this, uh, you know, the things that people idolize Michael Jordan over and Kobe over, that mentality, that Mamba mentality, that confidence, that alpha dog energy. Mark and I both uh, radiate that in any athletic competition, whether it's warranted or not. (laughs) But it's confidence is what it is. That's right. and And I know... Especially after how – because we were starting to feel good in that cornhole game. Yeah, know, we were rallying.
1: We were, rallying. We, were we, had, we had the rally caps on. I mean, the fans were
3: getting into it. But after after a heartbreaking defeat, you know, look, f- failure is the catalyst to success. So we're going to come back on the next one. We're going to get them. Pickleball is all us. All right, we're
1: going to wrap up our number one next right here on the sports station. Uh, Dale Osborne. Uh, Will join us, the Orlando assistant on Lakers Nuggets last night. Uh, Ross Jackson on the Saints coming up in hour number two. And Reed Hotard, the Daphne basketball coach, is going to join us. It appears they've made some changes with the rules in high school basketball as it relates to fouls, free throws, and getting into the bonus. I'm thinking there's some strategy that's going to have to be um, reevaluated this upcoming season. We'll talk all about it. Stay with us, wrapping up hour number one next.
7: Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP (laughs) 105.5.
0: All right,
1: 655, here we go. Welcome back in. Uh, Hey, call my guy Aiden Marks over at Medicare Insurance Advisors if you're within a year of retiring, if you're 65, if you've got health benefits, but do you need to switch over to to Medicare? He's the guy you need to talk to. Everybody's situation is different. There's never a fee for a service. He's not trying to tell you medi- how to, uh, to sell you Medicare. He's simply trying to inform you on all the options that you that Medicare provides for you. He works with multiple carriers. He helped hundreds of people just like you in both Mobile and Baldwin counties. Go see him. He can come see you. Uh, he's local and he's knowledgeable. Physical address. That's right. He's located right there in Daphne on Highway 98, across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. Go see him. He can come see you. Give him a call. 463 Four six three zero zero three one. Four six three zero zero three one Aiden Marks Medicare Insurance Advisors.
2: All right, uh, let's get down to Gulf Shores. Uh, Mark Huspeth is the head coach. They're just finishing up uh, spring football. Mark, how you doing this morning?
6: Hey, doing great, Lee. Doing great. Thanks for having us on, guys.
2: Hey, before we get to what happened on the playing field, did you ever name a defensive coordinator when Rhodes left the team?
6: We did. We we brought back Brian Van Gorder. So real real proud to have Brian coming back. Uh, rejoining our staff after you know he did such a great job a a couple of years ago
2: you know Mark this is kind of a philosophical type question I think when you took over you know your career had been basically in college football uh, and, and maybe when you came to Gulf Shores people thought this might be a you know a jumping point for you to get back in college but this is what your third or fourth year down there now?
6: Going on my third season, just finished the second year and, and I hey Lee, I got three little ones. I got three kids and uh, a thirteen, an eight and a six. So man, I'm I'm hoping I can stay here for quite a while. Obviously love love getting to spend time with my boys. Man, I got them spotting balls at practice and doing things that I typically would not be able to do with my kids. Uh uh, you know, if I was in, still in the, at the college level. And so it's been a blessing for me and my family.
2: I know we're running out of time, so very quickly, what have you accomplished during your spring football practice, which comes to an end tomorrow?
6: Yeah, we've created a lot of depth. Uh, we've got a lot of kids out. When we took this job two years ago, we went through spring practice to 41 players, uh, and then right now we're practicing 91. And so our numbers are way up, and so... We're creating way more depth than what we've had. We're obviously trying to work toward being a one-way team where we have very limited two-way players, and we're getting closer and closer to that. Uh, And so, uh, you know, depth this this spring, trying to develop a quarterback after losing Brendan Bird, who was a really good quarterback for us at the time with BMI. So uh, a lot of good things this spring. A lot of things we still got to get better at as the summer continues and, and we start summer workouts.
2: Look, like I said, we're kind of running out of time in this slide. I'll get back to you uh, as we get close to the summer. You're going to be in a lot of 7-on-7 games this year uh, in the uh, summer?
6: You know, we're going to be in some. We're not big 7-on-7 fans. You know, we we do it a little bit, just let the kids compete. Uh, But, you know, when you do 7-on-7, you're running plays. You don't typically run. or you seeing things you don't typically see in a game? And we hate losing that preparation time. So we do a lot of 7-on-7 against ourselves, uh, a lot of good work. Uh, but we will go to one and, and compete and uh, and use that sometimes to, to give our kids something to look forward to.
2: Unfortunately, like I said, we're kind of running out of time. I'll be back in touch with you, Mark, and thanks for taking time to join us.
1: Absolutely. You guys have a great day. Me go Dolphins. Too. All right, so coming up, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk a little NBA with Dale Osborne at 7, Ross Jackson on the Saints, Reed Hotar, Daphne, basketball coach, will join us to talk about the new rules and uh, when it comes to free throws. Uh, In uh, high school basketball, Chris Stewart set the joints at 8 o'clock and uh, Justin Baker at 830. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. Lakers, Nuggets, uh, NBA Lottery, uh, the cornhole fiasco that was yesterday. And, you know, whatever else you want to get into. You know how it works here on the uh, opening kickoff. Remind you guys to follow us on social media because that's where the cornhole video will be posted at some point. On Twitter, at 105.5 WNSP. On Facebook, Instagram, you can follow me on Twitter, at Mark underscore Heim. Lee is uh, at Shervaney and Lee. Hook us up. It's the opening kickoff, hour number two upon us. Stay with us right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com.
0: Hour number
1: two here on a Wednesday. Appreciate you hanging with us on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Mark and Lee and Triple G, we're here in the studios of WNSP.
2: And uh, the the night uh, occupied with a lot of NBA. You had Denver beating the Lakers. You had the firing of Doc Rivers. And then, of course, the uh, lottery. And to that, we bring in Dale Osborne, my good friend, the assistant coach with the Orlando Magic, who has been a uh, steady guest of ours during the postseason and certainly wore the uniform of the South Alabama Jags with a lot of pride and and did very well. Good morning, Dale. How are you this morning? Good morning, Lee. Thanks again for having me. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Let's start out with Game 1 of the Western Conference uh, Finals. Uh, Your take on uh, the Lakers and Denver.
5: Um, I kind of felt I think that Denver's going to take this series, Uh, the home court advantage. is huge for Denver. Obviously, they have a great home court record, but I do give the Lakers credit in the second half. They battled back and they made the game. Um, The way it started from the first quarter, I looked at my wife and said, this is going to be a blowout. But I have to give the Lakers credit. They're there for a reason. They showed a lot of heart in the second half. Um, Some kind of way the Lakers are going to have to try to get a win in Denver, and that's going to be tough. So we we'll have to wait
2: and see. What's your What's your opinion of Jokic? I I was impressed not only the fact, or right, you know, the scoring he's going to get and the rebounding, but the, the way he finds players open. And also, I didn't realize he leads fast breaks as much as he does. Yeah, just
5: a great feel, great skills. Can really shoot it. Can score. Wanted a, you know, um, I think he was my scout this year. You just have no answers for guys like that, Lee. You just got to make him work hard for everything he tries to get, but he's a special player. I mean, he had a triple-double last night. And you have triple-doubles at 7 feet, like you said, leading the fast break, he's just a gifted
2: player. You know what I enjoyed watching, too, was that he actually plays the center position. You know how back to the basket? You don't see that hardly at all in the NBA anymore.
5: No, he can he can do it all now. He can face up, he can play with the back to the basket, he can start the fast break, he's great on the offensive of glass, he's great on the defensive glass. I mean he, he's special. Um, my prediction will be Denver and Boston in the finals with Denver winning it all because I think Denver will have the home court advantage. One of the main reasons I'm picking Denver, I think Denver has a lot of depth and they also they have a guy who can they can get the ball to. He can make great plays.
2: Do you think the Lakers stay with that defensive strategy at the end where they put uh, Hakamura on them and then let Davis patrol the lane?
5: Yeah, but that was a great adjustment by Dawkins. Um, obviously one-on-one he's hard to guard, but he put, uh, Richie on him and it, it allowed, um, AD to free up and just roam, roam and play in the paint. So yeah, you could probably can see that adjustment to start the game because there's no time to wait in the playoffs. But you'll probably see AD off of him and, uh, don't be surprised if Dawson makes a change in starting lineup, too, just to help defensively uh,
1: with Joker. Were you, were you surprised at all at how dominant Jokic was against AD? I figured AD would be one of the better matchups against Joker than, than most in the league, but clearly that wasn't the case.
5: You know what, when, when you have that special talent like that, it's hard to, you know, I, I do the defense for the Magic, and I tell my guys, it's never one on one. The man with the ball has to feel like he's playing one against five. It's it's, it's, it's almost impossible to guard a one on one, and it's a tough matchup for AD. Uh, AD is tough one on one. So when you got guys that have that special talent, it's hard to, to say you 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 got them. Um, it's, it's just tough. There's only certain guys. Um, in the lead that you can give a guy, and say you got a one-on-one, you can stop them all that. But Jokic, it's a tough matchup, so um, they're gonna have to throw different looks at him to try to keep them off balance, and
8: uh, hopefully it'll work.
1: How uh, how difficult is it for teams to go into Denver and play from uh You know, they talk about it all the time about the air being thinner and all that kind of stuff. Is is that a real thing?
5: Yeah, it does make a difference. The air is is thinner in Denver, and also it's a mind thing too, because that's what everybody talks about as you climb in the city of Denver. Yeah. So you know it's true, but also it's messing with your mind. I'm going to get out of shape quicker. I'm going to run out of breath quicker. But it does make a difference. And from what I was told, I think LA got in town a day or two early, which I think is smart, so they can adjust to the altitude in Denver.
2: How many games? How many games does the Laker-Denver series go in your opinion? Uh, I would say six games. And yeah, I know yeah, you're thinking six. How about the uh, Miami-Boston series? What should we look for tonight?
5: You're going to see a grind out game. Uh, both teams slow pace. Um, both teams like to control the tempo. Uh, Miami will try to push it a little bit more than Boston, um, but Boston's got two guys that can go get it. Uh, Marcus Smart can play on my team anytime. He's just a tough leader. Um, and Jimmy Butler can close out game, so that's going to be like a grind-it-out series in Miami. You know, if you listen to Jimmy's conference after the game, that's how they play. They kind of grind it out, so that's going to be a great series.
2: Dale, uh, thoughts on the lottery? Uh, last year, you guys did very well. Wound up with Manchero uh, as the first pick. I think you have the number four, right, coming off the lottery yesterday? Uh, no, we ended up with number six so, and I'm number sorry. 11. Oh, yeah, that's right, two. Um, okay. Yeah,
5: yeah. We ended up with the number six pick and the number eleven and lee, you know, I don't watch a lot of college basketball, so I don't know if the prospects are out there. But we, we were last year we were the second youngest team in the league, so obviously, you know, I don't know what management's gonna do with your draft picks, but if we bring two more young guys we'll continue to build and get the guys to play hard, so we're excited about it.
1: Do you as a as a coach, do you like the idea of a lottery sitting there last night and, and waiting to see how that unfolds?
5: Um, yeah, I think it's good. You know, obviously different markets for different teams. It's, it's harder to get. You know, um, one of the biggest things that we faced in Portland was trying to get free agents to come out to Portland because it's just not a big market team. Yeah. Um, so you got to you got to give teams a chance that struggle. Um, obviously, San Antonio, Detroit, Portland toward the end struggled. So those guys they have to have a chance to to get good players, good. Get good, good young incoming players to continue to build and fight. So yeah, I like the lottery. Um, San Antonio's obviously that kid is a special talent. It's going to boost their ticket sales. It's going to boost their TV ratings, and you know that team's value is going to go probably to another billion dollars. Because supposedly this kid is the next great thing.
1: Dale Osborne, our guest here on WNSP. So I I heard a conversation, I guess it was earlier today or yesterday, I don't know, it all blends together, when it comes to the lottery and the idea of tanking uh, towards the end of a season. And one of the suggestions was, in order to nip that perception in the bud is, if you get the number one overall, you can only get it once every so often, even with the whole ping pong thing. Like you, it, once you get it, like you can only, you can only get the number one maybe over every other year. Do you, is that something you, that you would open, you're open to? Okay. Um
5: Totally. you kept breaking up say that again I so, the first, but you broke up at the last part yeah so uh,
1: would you be open to the idea of uh, limiting how many times a team can get the number over number one overall pick over a certain matter of time meaning you couldn't get it back to back years
5: you know what I, 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 I would um, I don't think teams should tank I don't think you should mess with the game like that Um but I, when teams are struggling, I just and, they, and they're young like we are, um, and we don't tank, we just told our guys to play hard every game and, and let the cards fall where they may. Um, but I, if you're tanking, I think you're messing with the game and it's eventually going to catch up with you. So I like the lottery. I think you should stay like that. Um, you know, obviously the rumors of tanking, those rumors are out there, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's how some teams go about it. But I like how the lottery is, and hopefully people won't play with the game. But, you know, what we've done here in Orlando, we've told we're trying to build a winning culture. So we're not, you know, our management, our ownership, our head coach Jamal, we said, hey, let's, we're going to play hard every game, every night, and see where the cards fall. So uh, I don't agree with the tanking thing, and I think the lottery should stay as it is.
2: Dale, I don't know if I've asked you on the air. You've You've been coaching in the NBA for quite a long time, Portland and now Orlando. Do you have aspirations of being a head coach someday?
5: You know what, Lee? If, if, you know, if that's in God's plans, yes. Yeah, if, if that happens, if not, I'm content. Um, I'm being honest with you. I've been thinking about retiring a lot more as of late. Um, you know, I've been doing this 35, 36 years now, and um, so yeah, you know, I just pray about stuff like that, just see where God leads me, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if it happens, great. If not, I'm continue doing
2: what I'm doing. The reason I ask that question, this is this this off season for the NBA has been crazy. Look at the coaches that have been fired with winning teams, Milwaukee. Uh, Philadelphia, Doc Rivers, one of the most successful coaches in anybody's business, right? And then you had right, the uh, right. Williams of uh, uh, Phoenix, teams that were doing really, really well. I mean, usually when a coach gets fired, it's because the team stinks, so they're you know, they not winning. In this league, you, you win and you get fired.
5: I know. Unfortunately for us, we, the coach is always the first one to go, especially at this level. Um, that's part of it, but I agree with you. I thought Mike, Mike, uh, I call him Coach Bud in Milwaukee. I thought he did a great job. When you look at his record, when you look at Doc's record, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Monte Williams did a great job in Phoenix. I always like to tell people there's no recipe in the NBA. There's no, there's a lot of times stuff happening in there and it just doesn't make sense. I and mean, that's just the unfortunate part of our business. Um, the thing that's good for those guys, Doc will be a coach again somewhere. Barney will and Bud will, and you see him. He he landed on his feet, Houston. Um, you know, once you become a head coach in NBA, there's a good chance if you do a good job, you're going to get the opportunity again.
2: I guess my point is, the regular season doesn't mean anything if you don't win the championship. Your history—that's the way it looks to me. Yeah. Was, you know, I know it. Um, the regular season means a lot
5: because obviously you're trying to get home court advantage, you're trying to bring, uh, build momentum going into the playoffs. But again, um, owners and management they think different from what you and I see. Lead, you know, um, Doc Rivers again, I thought did a great job in Philly. Um, when you seen the press release from management, they said they they want to look to go in another direction, see if they can bring another coaching to do better than what Doc did. And I think that's hard to do. So the regular season does make a difference. And you know you have people behind the scenes and management and owners looking at it a different way.
1: Coach, really do appreciate you spending some time with us, man. Uh, have a good rest of the week. and We'll do it again soon.
5: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: All right, scoreboard traffic and weather next. We'll visit with Roy Hudson. Ross Jackson scheduled uh, at 730 to talk some Saints. Reed Hotard, the Daphne basketball coach, set for 750. There's a new a federal... A federal... National rule about free throws, the bonus, and how many it takes to get there. That appears like it's going to be implemented this upcoming season in high school basketball. We'll talk all about that. And then Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide at 8 o'clock. Got a lot going on. Hour number three. Uh, you want to hang around for us because uh, we've got a little Chick-fil-A for you too. And you guys can jump in on... We weren't tanking, per se. I think that's too strong a word. But I will say... Reality programming at its best. I think that's probably the best way to say it. With our loss in cornhole. Kudos to those guys. Bronner, I will say, is built for cornhole. And no, that's not a compliment. Stay with us. It's the opening kickoff.
0: Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it.
1: 724. Thanks for hanging with us. The opening kickoff continues here on this Wednesday edition. Let's
2: check in with uh, Roy Hudson from Community Bank. You know, earlier in the show, we talked to the Gulf Shores head football coach, Mark Hudspeth, that are finishing up spring practice tomorrow. Well, we know that the last time we talked to Roy, he was talking about a bank going down there to Gulf Shores. Roy, is everything uh, okay uh, with the new construction and a new bank down there? <laughs>
4: Yes, it is. And, Lee, actually, we opened up for business on Monday morning, so uh, we are open and accepting customers. It's been a really good reception down there.
2: Fantastic. Are you having an open house or anything like that?
4: Well, you know, we've always talked about having you guys down there, so that's still the plan. The ship was just a soft opening, but uh, word has gotten out. Uh, you know, Rick Conway, or. Our lead banker has been down in that market for about twenty five years. So I think he's been telling a lot of people, and it's just a lot of excitement down there for a uh, community bank as we open up down at the uh, the Gulf Shores area.
2: So that gives you five now in the immediate area.
4: That's correct, and 55 overall for the bank, and it's just uh, it filled a void. You know, we're in Pensacola, and we're all the way across in the, the Mississippi coast, and uh, we needed an office down there, and this opportunity presented itself, and we are extremely excited to uh, provide services for the people down there on the on the beach.
2: You know what? Here in Mobile, the the phrase is a bank unlike any other. Is that the same phrase down there at Gulf Shores?
4: That's right. That's what uh, the people are coming in, and they're understanding that when they get to to talk with the experienced bankers that we have on staff and how we approach the things that we do. And uh, just like I said, there's a lot of excitement from obviously the people down there, but the rest of the staff and the team throughout the organization, it's just been a a few years coming, and we're extremely excited about it. So we invite everybody in down there to come in and uh, see what it's all about.
2: Congratulations, Roy. Appreciate it. We'll let you go. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Roy Hudson from Community Bank. In the app, Bronner was dogging you yesterday
1: on the final drive. Man, that's that's fair. They earned that right. I'll say this, because uh, we gave we gave it pretty good after the basketball game. And if I have to lose in a in a game, I I'm good with losing at cornhole, especially in a close game. I'd rather lose twenty eight twenty one eighteen in cornhole and win 11 nothing in basketball. No make it take it by the way.
3: Uh that's right.
1: Then then win 21-18 in cornhole and get blanked in basketball. So I'm good with that. It's it's all it's all in good fun and it sets up for the winner take all third
3: round. Look, they they're they're desperate for some sort of recognition and uh credibility to them being a sports host, <laughs> that they can play a sport. So if the sport that they, you know, are confident in and that they are able to compete in is one where you're standing still with a beer in your pocket, throwing a bag full of corn, then that's fine. Yeah. Give that was to that them.
2: Was that the case? Did you guys have uh, refreshments in your hand? No,
3: what was funny, though, there was a point, though, like, uh,
1: you know, in, in typical Bronner fashion, he had his drink that he was constantly sipping from, right? But – uh. Uh he uh Nick was setting up the cell phone so that he could record it and so he had to use the drink to kind of uh keep the phone up and dude freaked out like he wasn't gonna be able to hold the cup yeah. and so he had to I think he kind of threw him off his game early. Yeah. Uh but he was already complaining at that point. So he's a
3: complainer. He's yeah. a whiner.
1: Bronner complained about that, then he complained <laughs> about how fast Nick was throwing the his bag right after brauner was throwing his like he, he was just he's like dude you gotta stop that and i was like well, what's the problem he's just throwing after you throw what what but he was there's very he's very particular about the way you have to play <laughs> yeah. cornhole
2: what what is he like uh one of these guys that plays it like year-round at different locales i mean he, is he,
3: he'd be one of those guys it's like you're ruining this like the those old baseball fans you're ruining the sanctity of the game is yeah, that but for cornhole. Yeah, he, uh,
1: he was very confident uh, with his ability to play cornhole. And um, he wasn't even that good. Corey had the big shots. Yep. See, Corey would either hit like he would just... I mean, it was like hole in ones, man. He was just—he would either—it was all or nothing with Corey. He was yep. either—it was in the hole or that thing was like five yards off the, he off
3: the board. He was like the J.R. Smith of cornhole. You either were like, "What are you doing?" or <laughs> "Oh my god!"
1: <laughs> uh, and and Corey just kept screaming, "Get on the board! Get on the board! Get on the board!" Like, "What are you doing?" Ross Jackson's next. Stay with us. It's the opening kickoff. Get on the
0: board!
1: There my right, Nick. I mean, that's pretty snappy. That
2: uh, turned out. Well, I, I was actually looking for <laughs> is, it, is, that, is that who was that? Was that that wasn't Fats Domino? Was it the uh, we're going to New Orleans? That doesn't sound like that. Uh, but anyway, that it's still was, good. Uh, him. That
3: was Fats Domino. Yep. Really? It may Only. not be the song you're looking for. with the it's nice okay. flat top yeah, it's and close. the big ring on his
2: finger.
1: That's close. Ross Jackson. Super Bowl ring on his finger. Our good friend
2: Ross Jackson from Crescent City Sports covers the Saints. Ross, welcome to the show this morning. Opening kickoff. Good morning.
8: Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here with you.
2: So, we've had people on that say the Saints have a very favorable NFL schedule. Do you see it like that?
8: Yeah, it's favorable. It's got its, it's got its pitfalls, and and you know those potential traps and things like that all throughout the schedule, of course. But I do think that they're in a uh, a good situation in terms of you know strength of schedule and the the teams that they're going up against. I believe only three of them have winning records from last year. Maybe four of them have winning records from last year. They play a lot of these games indoors. So there's a lot of things that you know do go to their favor, but. Uh, you know, what these teams looked like last year isn't necessarily what they'll look like in 2023. So that'll be the big difference
2: for them. See, that that's always been my contention. It's one thing to say, well, the Saints teams that they're playing from last year, they had a 42% winning. But you know how it is in the NFL. You're always going to get some teams that rise above the occasion through a draft mm-hmm. pick or something like that or lack of injuries and do very well, and it's like they say, well, the Saints and Atlanta have the easiest schedules. How can anybody have an easy schedule in the NFL?
8: Yeah, you really don't. You know, no one really does, and and I think that that's one of those things that kind of shocks people. I think that there's a way that you can kind of look at what are the projected win totals of these teams and maybe they straight the schedule off of that, but that's always so inconsistent and oftentimes, you know, not not necessarily where these teams fall. And so I think that when you look at where the Saints are, I mean, it's still a second-place schedule, right? They were still second place in the uh, in the division. And therefore, they are playing a, a, still a pretty tough schedule, e- despite the fact that they might have the easiest sort of strength of schedule. I think that the one of the things that makes this season a little bit more palatable for them, though, is they're not facing very many – excellent quarterbacks this year. Perhaps the best quarterback that they're going up against is Trevor Lawrence. Um, Maybe Matthew Stafford, depending upon, you know, by the time that the Saints play them in week 16, the Los Angeles Rams, like what's he looking like? How's his arm, how's his shoulder, all those things. But that might be something that goes in their favor. But again, they also play three rookie quarterbacks and Jordan Love. So there's still a lot of unknown in terms of what those other quarterbacks are. So they could end up being excellent and better than the other quarterbacks that are already proven in the NFL, or they could end up still being in the midst of their rookie season adjustment period. And that works out well for New Orleans.
2: All right, during the offseason, which is still going on, where have the Saints helped themselves the most? Putting quarterback aside, because we know about Derek Carr, mm-hmm. but where have right. they helped themselves the most and where have they failed to help themselves?
8: Yeah, I'd say probably the place that they've helped themselves the most is kind of rebuilding the players over on the offensive side. Um, you know, you're gonna see most of the same names, Jawan Johnson and Alvin Kamara and you know, Michael Thomas, Chris Alaby, Rashid Shaheed, a lot of those guys are still back for next year. But the depth and the additional rotations and then the additional options that they've added so far this offseason have been um, excellent, and that's what you want to do. You've adjusted and and improved the quarterback position. Now you want to make sure that you're giving that quarterback the pieces that they need to be able to succeed over an offense. So the addition of Foster Moreau, the addition of guys like A.T. Perry and Brian Edwards, who are these big bodies, big backup guys, in case you end up having an injury to Michael Thomas again this season. Um, You know, Adding James Washington, it gives you another kind of deep that guy. I think they could still use a more pure slot wide receiver. Maybe they can find that somewhere, but for New Orleans, I think they've done a good job, nonetheless, adding to their, their weaponry. Of course, building up their running back room as well with guys like Jamal Williams, and then, of course, the addition of Kendrick Miller. I think the place they haven't helped themselves the most yet is, is linebacker. They they've lost a big piece of not only their linebacking core in terms of depth and Caden Ellis, but they lost one of their premier pass rushers. That way as well. He had seven sacks last season coming from the second level. So, um, and we've not really seen them make many additions there. They they brought in a couple of undrafted free agents in Vanderbilt's uh, Anthony Orji as well as Tulane Nick Anderson. Will they make the roster? Will they not make the roster? We don't know. But they lost a big piece in that second level that they haven't they haven't been able to effectively replenish yet. There's still some free agency names out there where they could do that. They still have some roster space and they still have some salary cap. So there's still a chance that they do that. But uh, that's probably the place I feel like they hurt themselves the most this
1: offseason. Ross Jackson, our guest here on WNSP. Okay, Mickey Loomis says that Michael Thomas can have a hundred catch season in his return from injury. Are you are are you calling cap on that?
8: Yeah, I, I don't think that he has a hundred catch season, even if he plays all seventeen games, and that's a good thing for New Orleans. But uh, you know, like we just I was just mentioning how they've continued to build out those skill position players. Adding, you know, Foster Moreau, having a healthy Chris Olave, Rashid Faheed, all these others. If Michael Thomas walks away with eighty catches, seventy catches in twenty twenty three, then you know that the ball has been moved around, the ball has been spread. You've got other receivers, you've got other options. It actually works out, could work out very well for New Orleans if that's the case. So I don't know if he can be a hundred catch receiver. Hopefully, he can stay on the field long enough to prove that he can be. Uh, that's going to be kind of the main and, and, and key thing for Michael Thomas, and, and look, Michael Thomas knows that as well. And so, you know, he would love nothing more than to be out there all 17 games and be a 100-catch guy and all that. But uh, until we see that, it, it's a little bit of, okay, let's let's wait and see exactly who Michael Thomas is in 2023.
2: Ross Jackson with Crescent City Sports. Uh, so you look at that division now. And on paper, I think there's a tendency, and I can't blame people for doing this, that maybe favors the Saints only because of that quarterback position. How do you see it, though, with obviously Carolina, the rookie quarterback, coming in, uh, Atlanta, and also Tampa? Do you look at it that way, too? Would you say right now uh, the Saints are the favorite?
8: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that for now. But, I mean, I would give everybody in the division plus odds, right? I mean, I, I think... I think this is still kind of any team's division, but I think New Orleans is maybe set up most immediately uh, for success within it. But the big thing is for them is going to be, can they stay healthy? Um, as for other teams, it's just hoping that your biggest piece performs. How does Desmond Ritter perform? How does Bryce Young perform when he gets the opportunity out there? And so it's going to come down to the quarterback divisions, especially for Carolina and Atlanta, but I, I, they've made some solid additions on both sides of the ball. They, uh, Carolina more so on offense than on defense, but Atlanta's defense has gotten better with the addition of Ryan Nielsen and all the free agents that they've been able to add from there, their draft picks, everything that they've done. Uh, I think that they're probably the biggest challenger right now where, on paper when it comes to New Orleans. But, you know, I think Tampa's probably at a safe distance in this, in this division, but I think between Carolina, New Orleans, in Atlanta that, you know, this could still be any team's division, and New Orleans shouldn't be in a situation to where you're willing to sign, seal, deliver their NFC South title.
1: Hey, Ross, great stuff as always, man. We appreciate it. Have a great week. We'll do it again soon.
8: Absolutely, guys. Appreciate you. Take care. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you here soon.
2: All right, Ross Jackson with Crescent City Sports. Tell you, uh when it comes to favorites, well, in my case, when it comes to uh Going to see an oral surgeon, Dr. Christopher Mullenix, is right up there. I've uh, been there many, many times for dental implants. You know that. Talked about it many, many times. Uh, he and his associates, Dr. Wallander and Dr. Babston located at 715 Downtowner Boulevard. You do not need a referral. I had one. That was a long time ago. But today, you don't need one. Just take my advice. Call them. Recommendation. Uh, give them a call at 471-3381. And, you know, I, I guess it, without getting into specifics, they take care of everything when it comes to oral surgery, jaw surgery, facial problems. Go see them. Uh, I've been there. Uh, the thing I, I talk about most of the time, is the fact that when you get there, very little waiting time in the waiting room, very little paperwork. And the next day, when you're worried about, you know, pain, discomfort, with me, no pain and very little discomfort. That's uh, Dr. Christopher Molinox at 715 Downtowner Boulevard.
1: All right. When we come back, um, we're going to talk to uh, Reed Hotard, the Daphne High School basketball coach. There is a uh, new, it's uh, been a change in the rules. Uh, to high school basketball, which I believe are going to be implemented this upcoming season, which uh, has to do with free throw, free throws. So no longer do you go into the bonus. It's it's going to be when you g- technically when you get to the bonus, which typically is seven team fouls a half. Uh, you go to the one and one. When you get to ten, it's the double bonus and it's two free throws. Now what's happening is it'll be um, no more one and ones. It'll all be two shot fouls. But they're going to do it by quarters, so every fifth foul of the quarter will result in a two-shot uh, attempt for the team that was fouled, and it resets after every uh, every quarter. It's probably a little bit more aligned with the uh, with the NBA rule than it is what it what it used to be. So we're going to talk to him coming up here in in just a second. You guys can chime away in the app. Um, Someone asked, is Bronner old enough to drink? He is. Whether or not he acts it might be a different question. Can he handle the said drink? Hard to say.
3: Hard to say. Definitely not. Okay. I've been to a few media events where they've had beverages and I mean if you look, if you guys were at that draft party, y'all know how it got after he drank that first apple teeny. Is he the is he the one in the in the group that gets a little flushed when he
1: starts drinking and then the words start slurring a little bit even if he's not drunk you know what yep. I mean like he just gets really happy uh-huh. and like loosey goosey and so like the he gets a little flush in the cheeks gets a little rosy cheeks is he that guy that's him yeah there's always one I ain't nothing wrong with it I mean you know he's having a good time That's right hey, every every there needs to be a butt to every joke right. <laughs> Uh, someone in the app. It did sound like the wind sparked puberty for Bronner. Or maybe he was using his man voice.
3: Yeah. I don't know. No, I'm editing some of this footage, and...
0: This voice gets kind of like this a lot in it.
3: And since I'm the one editing it, I'll make sure to leave a lot of those <laughs> moments in. For the record, you won't hear a lot of me, because
1: most of what I was screaming probably isn't suitable for video. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. Um, We 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 lost in, uh in um cornhole 21 18 was the final score. We yep. were down, we were like the Lakers. We were down like 15-6, which apparently cornhole, six. 19, which apparently is like ridiculous. Like it's like that's a big lead, right? I don't know. It's cornhole. I've never played it. <laughs> right so either. what do I know? But we rallied for a couple guys that have never played. He was a little uneasy. This was his Super Bowl now. This was Bronner's yeah. Super Bowl and he was he almost pulled a And I hate to make the reference. He almost pulled the Falcons there. Mm. Uh, He almost let it get get away from him. But kudos to those guys. They've evened it up. And uh, I will simply
3: say, um, go to votenappies.com. We're nominated for three categories. So go ahead and vote uh, opening kickoff for best morning show, best DJ team. And then if you want to vote for the final drive for best, best sports radio show this week, uh, that's your own prerogative. We're obligated to inform you that they're nominated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah exactly.
1: So we encourage you to do so, and I uh, want to thank Odelius for having us out and allowing us to, uh, to wreak havoc on their cornhole uh, property. Uh, but fear not, all bets are off. So here's the, it's perfect, because now we enter the third event, the final event, the tiebreaker, in which nobody has any experience in pickleball. This is completely new for everybody. So uh, it's it's exactly the way we saw it playing out. It's reality programming for a reason.
3: It's all perfectly going to the script. That's right. We, like we, we, need we beat to. the
1: absolute snot out of them in basketball, lose a close one to build up their confidence,
3: build up the drama. You know, s- speaking of scripted things, Here's a uh, a hot take, a little um little controversial take maybe. I think that the NBA draft lottery last night was scripted. Also, with like who got the overall number 1? Well, think of it. Think, man. It's ping pong balls, man. It's what are the p- chances that Greg Popovich the one year that he just outright tanks? The one year he does it? He ends up getting the first pick and the best prospect since LeBron. He had David Robinson, elite seven-foot scorer, first of his kind, different uh, at that time. Then you get Tim Duncan, seven-foot, all-NBA, Hall of Fame-type guy, once-in-a-lifetime chance you get this guy. It works out perfectly. Now you're getting Victor Wimbanyama. What are the chances that this guy goes to this type of organization – now everyone's like, oh man, Greg Popovich, here he goes, another 10 years. It just, it's too, it makes too much sense. But here's the real reason it's scripted. The second pick, Charlotte Hornets. They're going to draft Scoot Henderson. Just the other day, it came out that Scoot Henderson is now going to be mentored on the court and off the court in his business endeavors by who? Steph Curry. What is Steph Curry's hometown? Charlotte, all right, people. It just it lines up too well. And look, just because it's a script, I'm not saying that I don't like it, right? It's like a Steven Spielberg, a Quentin Tarantino script. I'm gonna be there to see the movie. But it's a it's a little little convenient for for multiple. It's as scripted as
1: our uh, is our nappy competition.
3: I don't
2: know. Uh, we've heard this. right, we've heard this take before. Remember when Cleveland got LeBron? came him out of akron right that that was scripted that uh saint vincent he comes out to adding we heard that we heard yeah. that uh when patrick ewing when the knicks got the number one pick to take patrick ewing so it's not the first time
1: all right conspiracy theorists hit us up in the app at wnsp.com we'll talk a little high school hoops next right here on the sports station wnsp and wnsp.com stay with us some chick-fil-a in hour number three chris stewart in hour number three and so much more
7: Hey, this is Amari Cooper.
0: You're listening to Sports Radio WNFC. Yeah, he's uh, he's really, 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 first of all, talented. Uh, he's uh, a role threat. He's, he can play in a pocket. He can play ISO. He can play uh, on the post. So he's really, really talented. Probably the most skilled guy if you think about the size and what, uh, like what he can do with the ball and how good mid-range or shooter, shooter he is and how he is
1: attacking the glass. All right, 7.51, boys and girls, welcome back in as we wrap up our number two of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee here on WNSP, and we are now joined by our good friend and Daphne basketball coach, Reed Hotard. Coach, what's shaking, bacon? morning guys how y'all doing good all right so help us is this a good thing or a bad thing for those just joining us uh it looks like a new rule on free throws will be amended for the upcoming season no longer do you get to the bonus on the seventh team foul uh in a half it is now every fifth foul of every quarter will result in not a one and one but a two-shot free throw attempt what do you think
7: uh i think uh it, you know, you lose, you lose a little bit of the excitement of the one and one, especially at the end of the games. But ultimately, um, if it prevents games from turning into free throw fest for an entire half, I think it's a positive.
1: It does take. Do you have to? Do you have to rethink strategy, though? I believe it's going to benefit teams that
7: uh, that are more defensive minded that want to really be aggressive defensively. Because now, you know, if you get That fifth foul in the first quarter, well, you can go back to doing what you were doing in the second quarter because your fouls reset. So I think think defensively you can be a little bit more aggressive um, than you could have been in years past just because once you get that bonus, you don't want to let teams live at the foul line the entire half.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think one of the reasons cited for it was like safety. And I never really, it never really occurred to me. I I didn't, I didn't see any major injuries, guys trying to get rebounds uh, off free throws. Yeah.
7: i've I've been coaching for I think thirteen, fourteen years now, and I don't think I've ever seen an injury on a free throw, but <laughs> that's uh, that, that, that was one of the reasons they gave. Yeah. So I guess we'll go with it.
1: so do you at, at the end of a game, if you need to put somebody on the line though you you're always looking for the weakest player to put on the line, but does it really does it really matter if they're getting two shots?
7: I still think it matters. Um, you know pressure free throws are pressure free throws, and We've seen guys go up there and miss two when we're in the double bonus, and we've seen guys go up there and hit both of one and one. So I think in the end, it's going to be a wash. I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on the game, other than it's going to prevent. You know, I was involved in a game probably six, seven years ago where we combined for the two teams combined for 100 free throws. So hopefully, if uh, it can prevent that, I think I think it's going to ultimately be a positive for the game.
1: Uh, Reed Hotards, our guest here on WNSP. What other, are there any other rules? I, I know the big topic conversation in this state it always goes back to the shot clock, but are there any sure. rules in the high school game that you would like to see altered? Because I'll be honest, I didn't see this one coming. I didn't even know this was an issue.
7: I, I, this was, this kind of caught me off guard. And um, everyone likes to talk about the shot clock, and to me, I think the shot clock, it may impact the game here or there, but overall, most teams are getting their shots up within 30 seconds anyway, so I don't think that has a big impact. For me, the charge call just drives me mad. Um, Whenever that official blows the whistle, you never know which way they're they're (laughs) going to call it. So I would love for there to be some clarity on charge if that's adding a restricted area or what it is, but the charge for me needs to be addressed.
1: So you're in favor of the charge. You're not saying get rid of the charge. You're in favor of it, though.
7: Yeah, I'm in favor of it. Um, I just – the inconsistencies of it is the uh, is the issue yeah. for me.
1: Well, I think it was Jeff Van Gundy that was talking about uh, on one of the NBA broadcasts earlier in the playoff season where he, he thought they should just get rid of charges altogether. Oh,
7: yeah. Yeah, they, uh, th- there's a big movement in the NBA for, like, just get rid of it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the protect the star players because you see guys getting hurt. I mean, these, these are – the best athletes in the world playing 100 miles an hour. That you know, when they make a collision, it's going to be violent. Um, so yeah, I think in the NBA, I think there is a little bit of motivation to get rid of the charge completely. I like, I like the charge at the high school level. It's a, it's a play that completely changes the game. Um, it, it forces a turnover, and adds a foul to the other team. So I like it as a play, and it kind of shows the toughness of our guys. But there needs to be some clarity on. What's a charge? What's a block? And more consistency in calling back.
1: All right. So, uh, before we let you go, let's go back to this whole free throw uh, issue. Sure. Did you, as a coach, as coaches, have have you guys? Do you guys ever get an opportunity to talk about rules and what you'd like to see changed within the high school athletic association? Like, was this ever? Did you guys ever talk about this issue before it became uh, a story?
7: We do get to talk about issues, and I mean, you know, the shot clock has come up a few times with us, but I've never, I haven't talked to anyone about this until this was released. Um, so I kind of have to go double check to make sure that this applied to our state and everything. Um, but I think it caught most everybody off guard.
1: Yeah. Uh, you guys get started in a couple weeks as as do most uh, all schools here in, in, in the state of Alabama. Uh, what you got coming back? What's it looking like for uh, for the next season for the Trojans?
7: So we're uh, I think we're in pretty good shape. We did graduate six seniors last night. Um so we uh, but we have about eight returning players. We got a few sophomores who are going to step in and will be be real contributors for us. Uh Javion Daly, um Andrew Lightcap, Nathan Thompson, CJ uh um CJ Gardner Al Wooder. we have a bunch of guys. I think we're going to be a pretty deep roster. we will be athletic, and hopefully we'll be able to climb in teams defensively and uh, stay out of the bonus. <laughs>
1: hey, uh, appreciate you jumping aboard, Reed. I hope you guys are doing well, and I uh, look forward to talking to you guys soon. All right, thanks, Mark. Yep, that's uh, Daphne, Coach Reed Hotard. Um, I don't know if it'll ultimately have a big impact on the game. I do think uh, – it'll be it'll take you longer to get to the bonus at the end of
2: a game if you're resetting at the end of the going into the fourth while wow, this is a national organization that comes out with this and and he brought this up and does that necessarily mean each state has to adopt it or it applies to every state?
1: I got the impression that it applied to every state um so um but like we talked about, the bigger issue in this state has al- has been for the last few years th- the lack of a shot clock. We're one of the few states. Is uh, that coming? I, Do you want, I, I, would you like to see it come? Uh, I was, I was adamantly against it for a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm more open to the idea about it now because uh, it is a long time. I've always felt like if you don't want me to have the ball, come take it from me. I, I but you see these, you see these extreme circumstances where games are won six to four, and and they're holding the ball and, um. I mean, if that's the case, and I'm putting my guys out there, and I'm, I said foul, get to the bonus, and we'll get the ball back. Without
2: going into percentages, I would think most most teams wouldn't play that way, but I'm sure yeah, I know there right. are. But there are teams out there that are undermanned and and can't match up. That obviously will hold the ball because it keeps the score the score close. Well,
1: the other thing is, if you're up five with a minute to l- a minute left, the, it, 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 it is a skill, it is a talent to keep the ball from the other team. Four corners exactly that that's that's a that's a real aspect of basketball that gets lost with a shot clock i mean we did it over the weekend and my guys were getting mauled and fouled yet they didn't turn it over and they bled the clock and we ultimately won because we hit free throws and if you go to a shot clock you take that part of it out of the game you want the ball come take it from me don't let the clock determine that hour number three is next chris stewart stay with us Hour number three, here we are already. Fast moving show as always. Thanks for hanging with us. The opening kickoff, Mark Lee and Triple G, right here in the studios at WNSB.
2: Most of the headlines center around the NBA, with Denver winning game one of the Western Conference Finals by six points over the Lakers. Uh, San Antonio gets the first pick based on the lottery. That draft is June 22nd, and Doc Rivers was fired as the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers after three years. The Alabama-Texas uh, uh, matchup, uh, second week of the season, September 9th, which many consider one of the best, uh, let's say, non-conference uh, games on anybody's schedule, will be televised 6 o'clock on ESPN. Chris Stewart is the voice of the Crimson Tide. He did football games last year. He's done a lot of football games over the years. Chris, good morning. How are you today?
8: Guys, I'm I'm great. I appreciate you having me on. Thank How's everybody you. Doing?
2: Hey, I want before we get to baseball. As an announcer, play-by-play announcer, do you prefer the the night game versus, let's say, the early game, like you had last year with Texas and uh, Alabama? Does it matter to you at all?
8: Uh, I prefer infinitely cooler weather. Now, I'll tell you that last year meant an earlier game because playing that eleven o'clock kick or whatever it was central. Uh, in the Central Time Zone, it meant that we got out of there earlier than we would have, and the heat hadn't built up. Now, of course, it's hot in the game. In fact, I remember it being so hot that I took an iPad down on the field to do the TV show with Coach Saban, and I had not been there 15 minutes, and the the iPad shut down because it was too hot. I mean, it was it was scorching. Um, Better in the fourth quarter, but I guess if you have a quicker game that gets done before the heat builds, it's a little better. I like to build up. I, I like to build up or let's go play and get it over with. Okay. One of the others, usually best for me.
2: How is it dealing with Coach Saban, and, and I, how much time elapses before you get him for the TV show?
8: Uh, road games and home games are different. Home games... It, it can take a while because he gets through with the ball game. He'll do an on-field interview usually uh, after a win. He'll go talk to uh, the team. He will then go to every player's locker and shake every kid's hand. He will go to um, the medical staff, get a rundown of what the injury situation is, uh, he'll take a sip or two of water, and then he will make his way to uh, the media room, which is right up above the locker room. He'll get through with the media. Then he will go to the recruiting room. And when he's through in the recruiting room, then he comes to do the television show. And as you guys know, that recruiting room can be rather full, rather extensive. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so... that he needs to, it'll take a while.
2: Is he any different? Now, you don't have many losses, obviously. He hasn't had many losses over the years. But is he any different, a loss versus a win?
8: Lee, I'll tell you. I'm not so sure he's not better after, and I apologize, just getting in the car. and The, the radio kicked on for a second. Uh, he's very, very good regardless. Uh, he's, he's great in both situations, and I mean that sincerely from a, from a media standpoint. Thoughtful, uh, good answers. Sometimes emotional, but usually very much uh, measured in what he says. But it's it's good. Everybody's hanging on his word, not just because it's Nick Saban, because you normally get something very very impactful from him. And after a, a loss, and I've said this many times, after the loss to LSU, gosh, would it have been twenty eleven? The the twenty. 20- the, the the game of the century in Tuscaloosa where they lost 9-6 to or something like that and then turned around and beat them in the national championship, the one that turned out to really matter. But that loss in, in Tuscaloosa, his talk to the team afterwards in the locker room was one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. It was it was really good in the moment, but as things played out to see how he was almost Nostradamus in uh, – in laying it out how things could turn, that they would get another shot at LSU again. It uh, it was one of the most memorable for me of, of all the moments I've been privileged to witness and be around in, in my years of being connected with Alabama.
2: And I and I get the impression, and, and again, I don't know, but it seems like you do this on the fly. I mean, you don't have much time to script it, do you? Or is, are things in place?
8: No, you know, here's the thing. Uh, Justin Brandt, people with Crimson Tide Productions, do a fantastic job. Of of laying out what the show is going to look like, because you've got pre-recorded segments, um, and you know predetermined, like who the player of the week, the player feature is going to be on, who the assistant coach feature is going to be on. There's there's things of that nature, and it's a pretty simple. Um, it, it frankly, from my perspective and what I do, is a fairly simple show. We're late. We're getting his. It, you go and watch. I'm not breaking. I'm not winning any journalistic awards for what I do, Coach. Congratulations on the win. He says what he wants to say. I'll have maybe a follow-up based on that, and then you know, and that's tied to whatever has happened in the game or stands out to me. And then when he finishes responding or answering my question, then we'll throw it to the first half highlights, which are going to be dubbed in later. So we talk about what's coming out of the, you know, we let him share some thoughts basically going into the locker room at halftime, throw a commercial break. We have him coach thoughts on the second, you know, what was the message at the half? That's always the, the the lead in in some form or fashion. Coach, what do you tell him at the half? And he shares that. We go look at the second half highlights in theory, even though we're not, we, we throw it to that, come out post-game thoughts, and then it's into some of the other stuff. Those segments I talked about that are predetermined. And then the very last segment is getting him talking about what's next. And, uh, you know, from that standpoint, it, it's not a very difficult show. There can be moments that are more difficult than others. Surroundings can be different when you lose on the road and they've stormed the field and you're having to do this in a back hallway and fans are yelling at you through, uh, you know, through fences and down. Uh, Circular stairways and all that as they're exiting the stadium when they have beaten you for the first time in 16 years, you can figure all that out. Um, it's it's a you know it can be challenging logistically at that point, and that's again where the guys with Crimson Tide Productions are fantastic in making sure that gets done and works. Um, I w- you know what I compare it to? Did you guys ever watch Mash? Yes, you got had to have been Mash fans. Okay, you know. Mash was not ideal in terms of their surgical setup by any stretch. Uh, ideally, you're you're in a uh, sanitary hospital setting when you're doing the type of surgery they had to do. But sometimes you got to do surgery when the bombs are going off, and you got to be cool, and you got to find a way to to get it done. That's that's kind of going a, a much. I, I'm granting. I'm making our show way too important when I say that. But the the similarity is. You got bombs all around you, and you're trying to get that thing done and, and get it done and move on. And thankfully, um, we've been able to do that for more than a decade without the big one going off.
1: Chris Stewart's our, our guest here on WNSP. So uh, let me throw you a curveball here. Um, all right. I, I, I got to, since since we're a little bit off the rails, I got to ask you: has your um, has there have you ever been able to top a ride in the limo, like the first ride you ever had in a limo?
8: <laughs> Not, there is no, there is virtually no moral way that that could ever happen Uh <laughs> that, would ever be, that would ever be topped. Uh, 20, gosh, probably 25 years ago, give or take a couple, I was doing a freelance writing project for a magazine, Tied uh, to Hell South. It was I was given the assignment of doing an interview with uh, with two people that were that were at the top of their game in one of the highest profile games in the world. Uh, not particular ball games. I'm talking sports. Yep. But they were going to speak at this this Hell South event. Take part in it. So interview them afterwards for this quarterly magazine that South would send out. I was told when the event ended in Montgomery or near the end of the event, they're late getting to their plane. You're not going to be able to get the interview before uh, they get on the plane. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you in the limo with them to the airport and you can interview them there. And I acted like that was cool and that was no problem. But in my mind, I'm going, I've never been in a limousine in my life. So the first limousine ride that I ever took was with Tom Glellan, Evan and John Smoltz.
2: How about that? Wow. You're big time. Yep. I know, right? No, now it's no, been all
8: I downhill from there. I was not but, big time, and I'm still not big yeah. time, but I got to ride with big time. Yeah, that was really cool. And, that's great. And,
1: and every, limo, every limo ride from, from then has been nothing short of a disappointment, I'm sure. All both
8: of them that I had been in <laughs> since that time have been a letdown.
2: Why have I not heard John Smoltz talk about that when he does these national telecasts that he rode with you? Because
8: because he's he would go, who? Yeah. I was where? I was where? Who? I have no clue what you're talking about. That's exactly why. Yeah, I, I, I've got a sneaky feeling that it was not as meaningful to Glavin and Smokes in the height of their run with the Atlanta Braves as that was to me. Where was my that? Best fri- my Where? best friend growing up is John Vine. Best friend, still to this day. John, I, I could not get back quick enough to call John uh, to tell him. And John is the all-time biggest Atlanta Braves fan I've ever known. Back in the 80s, when we are mid-80s, when they were terrible, and they would be 20 games out of first with a month to go, John still wouldn't go out on a summer night to go play tennis, to go grab a burger, anything, until the Braves game ended. And most nights ended with John picking up his keys, throwing them at the television screen, and then picking up the keys and saying, let's go, because the game was finally over. But he wouldn't go until the Braves game ended. I got to call and tell him, you're never going to guess who I just rode in a limo with.
2: What happened to Maddox? How come Maddox wasn't in that group? Uh, Maddox
8: was not invited, apparently, to the Go For It Road Show. Rest it soul that Health out, he put on.
1: So, was your first question to Glavin about chicks dig- digging the long ball, or was this before that ad campaign came out? You know what? I think it was before.
8: It was around that time. It was around that time, but it was it was before. Bo was at that road show as well but he, was, he had his own limo and uh, I got the interview with Bo as I was walking in a herd of people that were getting his autograph Bo wasn't spending a whole lot of time hanging around, he never even slowed down and I got, I got a couple of sound clips for a radio show that I was doing at the time to be able to say that it was Bo Jackson, but I didn't get anything meaningful with Bo, but I'll never, I'll never forget that. Blabbin and Spoles were both really nice uh, I'm sure the interview was awful, but uh, so it, it was pretty cool.
2: Hey, I got to ask you, did you make the trip with Alabama to Texas A&M?
8: I absolutely did. That month that I spent over the course of four days in College Station, Texas, I, uh, I left with them on Thursday from Tuscaloosa uh, after A&M slow played it, trying to avoid playing, I don't care what they say, after they tried to avoid the 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 inevitable on Sunday, and they got exactly what they were uh, thinking they'd get, and that's part of the reason that I think it all got slow played. We uh, we finally got the game in, only to find out that our plane had some problems and was not going to be able to leave Sunday night as we we thought. So we spent an extra night in College Station, grinned a lot when we all got up and had breakfast on Monday, and flew back safely. Thankfully, got in about lunchtime. So right. Thursday morning till. Uh, Till Monday afternoon is what that journey was with two really big wins that, that took place in the middle
2: I just couldn't believe a seven hour delay on a getaway date who does that I mean you know I've been never seen that happen before at least in my travels with teams you know on especially a getaway day if they they usually call the game after 90 minutes
8: I will say this the game was originally supposed to play at three on television it got bumped up to noon. There was no way we could play at noon. We could have played at 3 if, if effort had been made. 4 o'clock at least. Uh, it got pushed to 7. Uh, it was absolutely beautiful at 7 o'clock, and it was even more glorious at 10 when the final score said 11 nothing Alabama.
1: Chris, great stuff as always, man. I always appreciate you coming aboard. For for more antidotes, yeah. uh, follow follow Chris on Twitter at c sports. Have a great week, sir. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yep. All right, uh, traffic and weather next and a chance for you to win a little Chick-fil-A compliments of WNSP. Uh, you can also jump in on the cornhole. Uh, it was a victory by the final drive. Things have evened up. We're headed to the final round of pickleball, all tied up. I can say that uh, we gave them all they could handle in a sport we've, well, air quote, sport we have never played. I mean, I was trying to read the rules prior to going in there. We gave them up, they were sweating it. They were sweating it. But kudos to them, they got the job done. It wasn't pretty but it sets it up for the big finale. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP.
7: Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP,
0: Mobile, Alabama. Chick fil A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick fil A. Your daily dose
1: of fried deliciousness. Yeah,
2: this is a kind of an easy one because we've already touched on this and actually have given away the answer, so we'll see if you were listening. The San Antonio Spurs won the uh, draft lottery yesterday. They get the overall number one pick. It's the third time in the history of the Spurs that they've had the number one overall pick. Who were those two? that were picked overall number one both became hall of famers both had great success with the spurs if you know the answer give nick a call there were two of them just name who they were mark we haven't really two, had a, a two-parter yes we haven't had a chance i do want to congratulate as we do with our programs sports programs that bring back blue maps in the uh, and i know john richetti will cover this on friday but the ums boys team won the 6-8 title by 10 shots so congratulations to them. They get a blue map. And individually speaking, uh, these golfers, Francis Brown, UMS Right Girls, she had the uh, best score overall of anybody, 8-under. Also want to congratulate low-medalist Jackson Spivey in boys 6A, and Mike. And he's with uh, Spanish Fort, and Michael Heaton with Bayshore Christian in 1A, 2A. All
1: right. Uh, coming up, I'm uh, going to talk to uh, Justin Baker. Um, but in the meantime we got some time if you want to jump in here you can at six nine four one oh five five that's the number uh and uh we've been talking a lot about uh game one of the western conference finals
2: um the the lottery um what do you think what do you think of the uh, uh Dale Osborne said Denver in six what do you think Denver or Lakers
1: uh probably Denver um Five or six. I don't think it's going to go
3: seven. I don't know if there's enough in the tank for LA and LeBron. Big, um, big, unathletic, white European guys are LeBron's kryptonite. <laughs> uh, can you name who? Are there a couple others that fit that? Dirk? Goal?
1: Dirk was his. No, which game? Dallas. Forget, I'm familiar. Yeah. Well, that, Miami was a know. heavy
3: favorite that year, remember?
6: Hmm.
1: I wonder what his reaction would be if you were in a press conference and asked that question to Le- LeBron. Hey, Just so like uh,
3: LeBron, question here: Would you say that uh, big, unathletic, white European guys are your kryptonite? <laughs> I can't imagine anybody
2: uh, <laughs> ask. First of all, asking that question, and number two, that he would say there's anybody as his kryptonite. You know, you don't don't jump off the bandwagon now. This is your guy. You've been ballyhooing him. You've been raving about him. The player, the greatest player ever. You wouldn't ask Michael Jordan if he had any player who was a kryptonite, so stay with him.
3: No, look, I'm a big LeBron guy. I know, well, stay with him. But But don't jump off. He might be top ten all time. Who? Jokic? And this this isn't LeBron's best roster. Denver got a better roster. I'm just saying, you know, it might just be one of those things, you know? I think Denver, I'll say this, they're healthy this year.
2: Uh, Other years they have not been. Uh, Murray's been in and out. Uh, I know uh, Michael Porter was a really, really good player when he was in college, but he's had back issues. So, obviously they're playing healthy and they're playing very well, and they seem to be the favorite as the number one seed. But I, I... I hope the Lakers can send this to seven games. But then again, if they do, that means Denver, they always win at home. So, I don't know. All right. We
1: continue with a couple segments left on this uh, Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, right here on the sports station. WNSP. Don't go anywhere.
0: Tenth of the season for Ronald, and he's now homered in three straight games. That one, 455 feet.
2: Who keeps track of these these feet, these home runs? I know when Mickey Mantle was coming up, they used to, I don't know, tape measure jobs, 500 this, 500 that. But uh, Ronald Acuna, whether you like the Braves or not, he's certainly fun to watch for sure. And somebody who gets to watch him a lot is Justin Baker. He's with 92.9. He's up there in Atlanta. He's uh, on the game. That's the game. Justin covers the Braves and the Falcons. Justin, welcome aboard. How you doing, my friend?
5: Doing well, Lee. How about yourself?
2: Wonderful. I really appreciate you coming aboard. So... Who who keeps track of I've often wondered and I'm not I'm a big baseball fan, but I don't really get into this velocity and how far it goes to me. If it's a home run, it's a home run. I don't care how far it goes. But how do they keep track of this? Uh, Because all I'm hearing now is Acuna's home runs four hundred seventy feet plus and he's setting all kinds of distance records.
8: Yeah, your analytics dorks of the world are going to be getting paid good money to try and keep track of this stuff. And, um, you know, credit to the Braves and a lot of teams who kind of take a look at these stat cast metrics and decide whether or not a guy's going to be a good fit for their ball club But go back to 2021. um, It's not like Jorge Soler was a guy that a lot of teams were were heavy on, or even when Jock Peterson came over, uh, then you add in what Eddie Mazzari was able to do coming over from the Guardians to the Braves. Um, you know, certain teams have these guys in the front office that track these things. They look at pitchers and spin rate and whiff rate and miss rate and all this other stuff, and you're able to quantify it into whether or not they'll fit better with your lineup, with your ballpark, how they work with other catchers. Uh, all this stuff kind of matters, and I think you know some of it. I'm a little bit of more of a column A, column B guy. Column A being more the old school, go off a of gut feel. Uh, column B saying let's look at the numbers and, and the analytics and try and make a decision from there. I think. Um, you know, sometimes you can get too caught up in the analytics that you don't just look at, you know, a situation at hand, kind of the old school method. Um, but when you look at StatCast and what they were able to do, I remember in Mobile with the Bay Bears, when we had that put in, uh, being able to have a uh, big radar dome, and they have them all over major league ballparks in various places. It helps them track, you know, the trajectory of the ball, the exit velocity, the launch angle projected distance Uh, we had it just above the uh, top of the grandstands but still being able to see um, things like spin rate on a ball from a pitcher which a lot of guys care almost too much about now uh, but also projected you know distance between balls and stuff I think it does matter and I think for Ronald's case the big thing Lee is um, you know when you're talking about 455 foot projected home runs uh, it tells you that he's not just you know getting it barely over the, the top of the wall like Sean Murphy did last night, but he's really squaring up. And a lot of that comes from a healthy knee, being able to sit back and open up his stance and get drive his hands to the, uh, the ball a little bit faster, um, his head staying level, and I think that's the product of a guy that is now 100% healthy. I know he played all last season, Um, but he had to worry about that knee, and and you can see it in his stance from 2022 to now 2023. Um, He is fully healthy, being able to put his weight back on that back knee, and he's been able to drive the ball uh, further than just about anybody in the game right now, and he's on pace for a potential 40-40 season. Um, And I think the most impressive part about his game, I mean, all of it's great right now. I think the power numbers are catching up. He's on pace, I believe, to 39 home runs. Um, I expect that to tick up. He's already hit, what, four home runs in the last six games, Uh, but also his ability to move on the base pass, and I don't know how much of that really has to do with the uh, slightly bigger bases, shortening the distance as much as it has to do with a guy that trusts his knees, now with 17 stolen bases on the year uh, on pace for 66, and may even have a shot to take down Otis Nixon's record of 70, uh, going back to that 1991 season. I think Otis had 72 that year, so it's certainly something to keep an eye on, and uh, right now, I think if you're looking at National League MVP, it's Ronald Acuna versus the field.
2: That's uh, what they're talking about right now. And Justin Baker, 92.9 the fan, the uh, game and uh, former voice of the uh, Mobile Bay Bears. So what do the Braves do about their starting rotation now, minus Freed and minus uh, Kyle Wright? And basically something I hate to see is bullpen games.
8: Yeah, so they got a decent start, I thought, last night from Patrick Schuster, one of their top prospects. Um, you know, I think if you can give five innings and three runs, uh, that's that's not bad. I mean, it's a much better bounce back from his uh, debut against the Nationals when he got tacked for a lot of runs, obviously walks for an issue. And he's been decent in A Gwinnett, so I thought last night was good. He got the jitters out. Being on the road certainly can help you uh, versus having to pitch at home in front of your crowd. asked Justin Berliner about that with his debut with the Mets last night. Um, but, uh, no, if you can get some good starts from Schuster, I think that's strong. Uh, there's also um, you know, a couple guys in the minors, ones, that, that are starting to project a little bit higher. But you know, the, the interesting thing about the extended playoffs is you know, maybe at this point in years past, you could look at some teams that are in the bottom half of, of the, the, not even their divisions, but their leagues, and say maybe they could be sellers on some guys early on. But with the expanded playoffs, baseball has this excitement where teams are going to wait until the 11th hour to decide whether or not they want to be buyers or sellers at the deadline. Um, I was looking at it this morning, and there's only three teams and all in the American League that are even remotely close to maybe questioning whether or not they should be sellers. And, and of those two of those three teams, that would be the Royals and the Athletics, don't really have anybody that the Braves need. They're at least not someone to sub in for that rotational spot. You could argue that maybe the White Sox starting to sit at you know seven-plus games out of the wild-card spot or a team that may start to go that trajectory. But they also have a lot of talent that if they can go on a run here towards the end of May going into June, they can find themselves right back in that race. So uh, it's great for baseball. It makes it exciting. I think you have less um, teams trying to sell off their assets and you have a really boring last couple of months of the season versus now you add that excitement but an adverse effect of that is if you're a team looking to fill a hole, you're going to have a hard time doing that. Uh, if you're the Braves, if you're looking for starting pitching, you're gonna have to give up something in return. And their farm system isn't what it has been in years past. A lot of that is a byproduct of the guys that the Braves have brought up, whether, you know, going back to Ozzy Albies days, who's the longest tenure Brave now with the departures of Freddie Freeman and Dansby Swanson, as uh, to the fact that Austin Riley's now up, you know, of course Michael Harris the second's up. Um, so the Braves don't really have the farm system that they need to have. So if they're gonna give up a piece, it's gotta be somebody that's gonna hold value. To me, the biggest trade piece they have in their back pocket right now is going to be Vaughn Grissom. Certainly a guy that Has proved he's not ready, at least defensively, uh, to show for the Braves. But would an American League team want to be able to take him? If you can find a guy, um, you know, maybe on the White Sox that you could try and trade for, because I just look at both the Athletics and the Royals, and I don't think you find your answer there. So uh, bullpen games certainly aren't going to help you. And I think the other thing that the Braves need is they need their frontline starters right now to go deeper into games to save their bullpen from having to pitch in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. And luckily, they got some great starts recently from Charlie Morton, who's an ageless wonder. I think Bryce Elder's done a great job. And, of course, Spencer Strider. Now, Strider's going to strike out 15 guys per nine innings. But when you're having a, a guy that's going to throw that many strikes, you're going to see his pitch count get high. And he's not going to be able to go through more than six innings, I think, in any outing. Um, it was interesting the other night to see Chris Bassett have a complete game. Just something we don't see in today's baseball is pitchers going deep into and Now you're relying on your bullpen. And to do that, that. That early in the season, I think, is going to tax them and at some point catch up to them. Uh, but if Atlanta's bats can continue to to rack up the runs they have, at least in the early part of the season, minus the last few games, uh, that's certainly going to help out their pitching staff.
2: You know, Justin, as good as that Braves lineup is, and again, every time I watch the the games and wish that Freddie Freeman was batting second with that 300 batting average, but I'm not going to harp on that. I know, you know, that gets old. All right, so you were stuck with, in a sense, I won't say stuck-stuck, but Matt Olson is hitting about 220 now. Okay, I understand that. He strikes out, to me, a little too much for a number-two hitter. Why not drop him down in the lineup and put a guy up there who at least slaps the ball around, and with a Cunha on base almost every game, at least uh, leading off, at least get him to second or third with a ground ball or something like that because Olsen does not move runners, except when he hits a home run.
8: Yeah, it's tough, Um, but you're also talking about a guy last year that was one of the league leaders in doubles. So if you can get a guy like Acuna on in front of him, and Matt can find a gap, and I think he'll get hot. Matt traditionally is a guy that starts out slow and and gets warmer as the season goes on, and we saw that last year. And this year he's actually ahead of the pace of that. I know the average isn't going to show that right now, but I think certainly the extra base hits will come. Um, You know, home runs right now, the team leader with 11 um, so just having Acuna start that out, and now the question is, do you do you take a guy that's going to have a higher on-base percentage and maybe slide him in front of Matt? Um, I think that could certainly be the case. I mean, we've seen baseball traditionally be, you know, you have your speedy guy at the leadoff position. The Braves have gone away from that. They have arguably their, their best player. I mean, he is their best player. He, the best player in the league and Acuna leading off uh, to kind of set the tone. So do you find the second hole hitter? Well, question is, is who do you want that to be? I could make the case it could be Orlando Arcia, who um, has really, I, I don't necessarily know surprised the people that believed in him, but for Braves fans that thought, how are they going to replace Dansby Swanson? Uh, Arcia has been more than, than serviceable as a replacement. I mean, he looks like a guy that uh, they could really rely on if he can stay healthy down the stretch. So maybe you put him in there. Um, you add good speed, a guy with good average is certainly going to be patient at the plate. Strikeouts always hurt you. Um, I know Austin Riley's been slow to start out this year. He's not going to be your two-hole hitter. I think he needs to be uh, slated in that 3, 4, or 5 spot. But the emergence of Sean Murphy, too, um, he got out to a little bit of a slow start, but he's been one of the greatest, best players in the last 30 days. Um, certainly what he brings not only behind the plate for his pitching staff, defensively, but also what he's been able to do with the bat as of late, so it's a good question, Lee. I mean, can you move him down maybe to the fifth or sixth spot? Sure, um, but at this point, a guy that they trust from the left side of the plate that has good plate presence, he's going to draw some walks, um, did a good fair bit of that last year. I think he's It's going to get hot as it goes on, but uh, you're right. There's always a a second time to look at maybe adding someone else in there to at least keep the offense rolling there in the top half of the order.
2: Last hour we spent talking about the uh, Saints. Let's get some Falcon questions in for you. Nick's going to also tune in on this, but let me ask you first of all, the uh, Falcons, unfortunately to me, received a lot of criticism for taking a running back with their first pick in the draft. What's been the reaction of Atlanta Falcon fans or basically the media in general to what the Falcons did?
8: I think it's more 70-30 positivity um, because you're looking at, uh, I mean, you have to look at, at what the Falcons were and what they have, right? So last year the Falcons ran the ball more than any other team in the NFL. And, yeah, Tyler Algiers Algier is a 1,000-yard rusher, but also he had more opportunities than most would Um, Cordell Patterson, of course, was a great surprise and a Swiss Army knife for the Falcons um, two years ago, and then last year had to deal with the injuries. He's getting older. He could be a a trade piece um, should Atlanta not get Tyler Huntley back in time, which would be their third running back. But I think what Bijan Robinson brings is just versatility and utility, and Archer Smith is traditionally a running. Uh, heavy uh, coach and a, and a play caller. So I think adding another running back, but now one with a lot of versatility, not just necessarily a north and south kind of guy, is certainly going to give Desmond Ritter and the offense um, an opportunity to play around. What Atlanta doesn't have right now is really a defined number two receiver. Drake London, their rookie from last year, certainly number one. They got Scotty Miller from Tampa Bay that doesn't necessarily excite anyone. Of course, Kyle Pitts is more of a, a hybrid receiver tied in. Um. So he has that passing option. But now think about the idea of having Cordell Patterson slide into the spot, uh, Bijan Robinson lining up there. You do have Algier that can line up. Their offense is going to be able to have more pieces. And I think the less pressure that you can uh, put on the plate of Desmond Ritter, the faster he's going to be able to develop. You're not asking him to sling the rock 30 times a game. I think that's certainly going to help him minimize his mistakes and uh, allow you to control the clock, which of course in football is, is the key is if you've got the, the ball more than uh, the other team you're preventing them from scoring that, that can be a, a key cog in your defense, which I think their defense will get better. Um, of course Atlanta was clamoring for Atlanta fans I should say were clamoring for edge rushers, maybe a linebacker um, you know and, and of course they did get one later in the draft is going to be more of a developmental project uh, with the kid out of Ohio State but um, you know, I think what they had in the draft at that point, you got to take the best player, and uh, Bijan's a guy that's going to embrace the, the atmosphere of the city. I think he's got the right attitude. He said all the right things and can certainly be a, a key player. And I'll be honest with you guys, just the way that Archer Smith runs the ball, I wouldn't be surprised if Robinson's one of the league leaders in and, and yardage and, and touchdowns next year, just the way that they'll be able to use him.
3: Hey, man. Uh, so. Lee, maybe not Lee specifically, but a lot of people think I'm crazy about how high I am on the Atlanta Falcons. Like you said, they're the best running team, and they add the top running back in the draft. You got a top five pick in Drake London. You got a top five pick in Kyle Pitts. So all your skill positions are covered. You bring in Johnny Smith from Tennessee, and now you get uh, Bates from Cincinnati. So you've got a, at least a deep defensive roster. Am I crazy in thinking that Atlanta's going to win ten games this year?
8: No, Nick. I don't think you're crazy. I think it's it's good to have lost their expectations, and it's going to be it's going to come down to how they handle their division, right? Um, you know, potentially, can you do more than just split your division? You know, are you going to get swept by any division? I don't see them losing two games to. The Panthers, the Saints, and the Bucks. you know, at any point, I think maybe a, a one-on-one split with each of those three would be your worst-case scenario. But, I mean, are, are the Panthers really scaring anybody? I, I'm not doubting Bryce Young's ability, but let's face it, the Panthers have way more holes than just what they needed at quarterback to fill. Uh, also bringing in a new head coach, how's that going to play out? You know, with, with Frank Ryden being I mean, a great play caller, but it's just going to be different in his first year. Um, Derek Carr is a serviceable quarterback. I wouldn't have paid what the Saints paid for him, but hey, they felt like they needed a guy. I just don't think the Saints are the Saints without Sean Payton, personally. I mean, that's no disrespect to Drew Brees, um, but the Saints just don't scare me at all. And then if you look at the Buccaneers, um, certainly in transition, you know, even when they had Tom Brady, they weren't as dangerous last year. They've lost some key pieces as well. And so good luck to Baker, Mayfield, and company. Um, but no, I think just looking at the division, Atlanta can easily get four to five wins there, and then looking at the schedule, can they pick up another four or five wins outside of that? I think they absolutely can. I, I hate that Dan Pease you know, left with good on Atlanta going in and hiring another guy, you know, of course the Saints' former defensive uh, guy to come over and be their coordinator. Um, and that's just the, the relationship that Terry Fontenot has coming over from New Orleans. But no, Nick, I don't think you're wrong on that. I think there's a lot of key pieces defensively They move around a lot faster in the last couple of years. Um, and speed on defense and the NFL is going to win. The Jesse Bates signing out of Cincinnati was big for them. Um, certainly to be able to get some more speed. So, no, I, I would say somewhere between 8 and 10 wins is an expectation, but eight, 8 and 9 doesn't buy you a whole lot of uh, prowess in the NFL these days. So you should strive for 10, and I think it's certainly possible now with the 17 game slate uh, that you can see a 10-7 and seven season buying you a spot as a division winner hosting at least one playoff game. And honestly, for Arthur Smith, the time is now. I know mean, they're in transition with a quarterback. They're going to find out real quickly if Desmond Ritter is the guy or not but to have those weapons in the backfield and then to be able to have a defense that's loaded with speed and hard-hitting tackling, um, this is the time for them to step up. You know, you got to get out of rebuild mode, and now you actually have to be able to prove that you can get some wins. Uh, So, yeah, I don't think you're crazy for 10 wins. It it won't necessarily be easy when I look at their uh, non-divisional schedule looking outside the conference, but at least within the division, I don't know that the other three teams in the NFC South pose any bigger of a threat than the Falcons do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's more than possible.
2: Justin, I can't thank you enough. As always, thanks for taking time to join us. We'll be back in touch. You have a great day. Yeah. Sounds good, guys. Take it's care. Former Bay Bear announcer, Justin Baker, now with 92.9 the game. You know what? Maybe uh, you get to 9 10 wins, you get a wild card playoff game on the Peacock. Maybe, right?
3: Yeah, maybe. I, I would definitely have to subscribe then.
2: Would you? Just for one game?
3: Um, they do, like, a seven-day free trial, so maybe I'd
2: do that. All right. I got you. All right. We'll come back with our closing uh, ceremonies in uh, just a moment. For Nick and Mark, I'm Lee Shervanian. This is the opening uh, kickoff on Wednesday. And uh, we'll finish up. Nick will tell you again how you can vote for us, okay, for Best uh, Sports Show.
6: This is Andrew Zell, Alabama's former
2: quarterback. You're listening WNSB 105.5. I'm so, I guess two days ago, everything you heard about Becky Hammond was very positive. We mentioned about the Spurs. They get the number one Uh, overall draft pick Becky Hammond was on Greg Popovich's staff uh, first female assistant on the staff and there had been talk that maybe down the road she might get an NBA head coaching job well right now she's with the Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA and she has been suspended two games without pay and also the Aces lose a 2025 first round draft pick because of allegations from a former player that she bullied a player who was pregnant and like i said up to this point uh nick there were a lot of positives about becky hammond maybe being the first uh female to coach an nba team
3: yeah i know she had an interview uh for toronto's uh recent open head coaching spot but that's pretty crazy i didn't did not see that coming. No, um, I don't think any of us
2: did. And she, everything's been very positive about her career and so forth. But, and the reason they didn't lose a 2024 first round pick because they don't have one so They go to the next year. The other thing too, I, I just can't get over it. Usually, you know, I mean, like, I know times have changed. But normally when there's firings in the NBA, you fire teams that aren't very good. Maybe you look at the Pistons or I, you know at teams that just don't do well, right? No, not in the NBA. The guys that get fired are the ones that have the, the great records but get eliminated in the postseason.
3: That's right. I mean, I think sometimes you can just tell when the writing's on the wall and maybe the roster outlives the— the coaching, and I think that's how it, I guess it is in Phoenix and uh, Philadelphia now. Doc Rivers, I'm sure
2: he'll be taken by somebody. Phoenix, uh, Monty Williams, oh, everything was always so good about him, and that that didn't work out. So, and of course, Milwaukee the boot uh said a uh, they have the best record at, during the regular season i wonder does the regular season mean that much anymore i thought it did all right nick uh we've got dan patrick following us of course uh then we got southern sports from one to three and the final drive but we also have a uh, that at 5 30 what's the uh double team today
3: it's it's gonna be the yeah it's gonna be me and Root we're gonna be talking about uh the NBA draft lottery these playoff series that we have going right now Lakers Nuggets Boston Miami Wh- who do you think's gonna go How do you think that game's gonna go tonight? Lee,
2: I like Boston tonight. I really do. Playing that first game, I th- I think it's been a terrific year for Miami, especially in the postseason. It really, I mean, they grind it out. They're a gutty team, but. I like Boston tonight, and I like Boston in this series. Uh, the, the, the flavor of the month seems to be Denver beating Lakers. I was hoping for a Lakers-Celtics series. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, that, that always generates high ratings and a lot of suspense, and i like to see LeBron win another title. But uh, they lost the first game. I'm not so sure after watching Denver, and I hadn't seen them play this year. They're really They're fun to watch. They're really, really good. If they can stay healthy, I think they'll probably win that series. But I like Boston. Let me ask you this. All right, we we know who's going to be the first pick. Where will we hear tonight? Where you think Brandon Miller's going?
3: I mean, you would think he'd probably go three, but I saw a report that said since the Trailblazers have the third pick, they're trying to win now. You know, while Damian Lillard is still playing and still elite, so I could see them flipping that third pick uh, for a star that, and you know, to a team that's maybe trying to rebuild or restart. So I could see. If the Bulls maybe went to a um, wanting to kind of rebuild things, I could see maybe Zach Levine getting flipped and going to Portland for that third pick. I mean, you could do a Carlin Anthony town There's a lot of lot of options for Portland here. They're in a good spot. And you have a Henderson who's in the G League going second, right to Charlotte. Yeah, he's a lock at number two. Yeah, and you, I
2: know you raved earlier this year when you talked about. Uh, uh, the the kid from France is he a generational talent? Is he a generational talent? I mean, is he a type of guy yeah, that's going to lead you the to a The modern
3: version people are saying of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, when wow. Kareem came into the league, you hadn't seen nobody move like that. That size could score like that, play defense as well. And Wimbenyama, 18 years old, seven foot five, five inches taller than Giannis. He can shoot threes. He can dribble like a guard. He can play defense like Rudy Gobert. He just has everything as long as he can stay healthy. He's so, a lot.
2: Did we get a winner on the uh, question? The Chick-fil-A? Uh,
3: yeah, we did. Brandon was the winner.
2: Alright, and of course, we gave the answer anyway during the course of the show. The Spurs Uh, number one overall draft picks in their history, Duncan and Robinson, two Hall of Famers. Could Victor be the third? Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Tomorrow, Eli Gold will join us, Paul Feinbaum. That's just for starters. So I hope you'll stick around and uh, listen to Dan Patrick's show and, of course, uh, the final uh, game coming up today uh, at uh, 3 o'clock. And then they'll have the double team, Nick and uh, Steven Root, uh, following the final drive. So we'll be back with you tomorrow.